This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. My name is Kara. We're your co-hosts. We take you on a uh, whirlwind adventure of a recap of an episode of SVU, a deep dive into the true crime it was based on, and an interview with an iconic guest usually, and today's no different. But first, we catch up, we chat, we banter, and we have just so much to talk about. We are fresh off of a Northeast tour. I love that you said adventure in that little intro part. That was cute. <laughs> Below Deck Adventure. That's us, baby. <laughs> yeah, we just got back from New York, Boston, Philly, Hartford. We had the best time. You guys are the best listeners ever. Everybody was so fun. The shows were awesome. Yeah, all I'm our on a friends high. that met us after were definitely like, those people really like you. And we're like, yeah, and we like them. <laughs> they're educated. They're fun. They tip well. We're obsessed. Um, they dress cool. Someone in Philly showed up in Amanda Rollins cosplay, like head to toe, tan leather, a little silky blouse, little booties. I mean, it was more of you need to start dressing in cosplay. <laughs> she really blew me away. I was so shout out to that. Oh, also, just, okay, we, um, our New York show was incredible. It was packed, beautiful venue. There were some employees that really fucked up and we had a couple of our listeners 
fly from fucking Florida and be yes. turned away at the door. So I just want to shout out. We are so sorry that that happened, Brittany. That's and, a shout out to yeah. Brittany, our girl who who yeah. came who and we love you and we're really sorry that happened. And Jasmine, there was a snafu and we will make it up to you the next time we are wherever you want to be. So message us. <laughs> yeah, the owner of the venue is definitely wants to talk to Kara immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, but, um, <laughs> you know, we tried so hard. But then the next day in Boston, it was like, our dude Clay was amazing. And then after New York being treated so poorly by this man, then in Bo- it's just, it's like nothing is consistent with our life. Like, I understand why our lives are, are, are like, the life of a performer is so wild to a lot of people because it's like, even when things are smooth, 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 one dickhead can turn everything around. <laughs> and then the next day, you're with an angel named Clay who's buying so many dips. He's just like bringing drinks, so positive, so kind. And then you go somewhere else, the next day, on a high, sold out shows. Oh my God, the hotel is shitty as fuck. The electricity is gone. We can't check in. And it's like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster, but yeah. you know, we ride the ride, baby. I don't know what to tell you. We have a great time. And we do. We, we also, if anybody missed it, we were on Watch What Happens Live. Truly a goal we've had since we like started the podcast when like exactly right asked us like, oh, are there any like press things you'd want to do? And we were like, we would like to be on Watch What Happens Live as the bartenders. And our dream came true. I'm so excited. Uh, we had the best time. I was nervous and also like, I, I, you know, I had a weird sense of dread about it. I think because I don't like getting dressed for things makes me stressed out. But like, honestly, every person we interacted with there was great. We had the best time. We did have the best time. We looked incredible. Like our color combos. <laughs> Thanks to our friend Lauren Joyce who made you wear monochromatic. Yes, I was, I was, so if anybody saw it, I'm wearing a purple top with purple pants. Not, not even an, an intentional shout out to our purple conspiracy theory about Law and Order SVU, <laughs> but maybe a subconscious intention. And then Lisa was wearing this gorgeous, like green, cool dress. And I was going to wear my purple top with black pants, my friend, and I had purple ones too. I'd ordered the same pants in purple. And she goes, wear the all purple. And I was like, what? It had not even occurred to me. I don't have an eye for fashion. And um, it looked great, I thought. It looked amazing. And we looked like a little Batman villain. You know what I mean? We did look (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Joker realness. (laughs) Yeah, we popped. Like, because I was going to wear the dress I ended up wearing into the live show. Everything just like worked out perfectly. Our friends um, who are Bravo fanatics also got to come. Andy on the show. I mean, he gave us some sass, which I would be disappointed if I didn't get a little attitude, to be honest. But the fact that he out loud said, oh my God, I love the bartenders. And then he said, can you guys be my hype squad? It was like... That we never like, happens. Yes. <laughs> Unless it's Bruce Bazia's best friend. That does not happen. Oh, also, we met our mole on the inside at our live show in New York. Oh, that yes. was really exciting. <laughs> our our person who works at Law & Order SVU, she came to see the show in New York. It was so cool to meet her. We jumped up and down like Mariska showed up. Yeah. Like when we met this girl. We were like, yeah! <laughs> like... It was so fun. But back to watch what happens. The, I think one of the funniest parts too is me and you trying to explain to our parents what we were doing. Oh, yeah. We're like, My we're on has- the show, but we're on the <laughs> side. They're like, are, are you making drinks? We're like, we're not. But We're the bartenders. Are you making drinks? We're not. <laughs> like, it's so confusing to people that are not in the Bravo sphere. But if you want to watch it, guys, 
It's the episode where the guests are Bianca Belair and Montez Ford, and they're from the WWE, and they were awesome. They were so cool to talk to. And that it, it's their episode that I think aired on like 117, so or January 17th. So go check it out. It's on Peacock and uh, probably Bravo app and everything. Yeah, it was, I mean, see, being in the clubhouse was, it was really wild. All my parents said was, you guys looked so excited. And we were. <laughs> and we hope we get to, we did not answer his questions as well as I think we know we have it on the inside, but it truly was too overwhelming. So everybody knows we didn't get them in advance. Like he was like, who's the goat of SVU? We were like, uh, Marishka and I see, like, I mean, we were just like so excited and it was hard to get like pithy answers out, but I thought we were fun. And honestly, he just, I think he just felt our enthusiasm and that's why he liked us. So I know, but and then I Lisa, would bother, but then I would bother Kara because I would turn around. I'm like, we should have said the hair department, yeah. you know? <laughs> What about Maloney's like, ass? <laughs> I kept being like, hindsight's 2020. Let's have fun. Um, but Lisa is like, you know, if you don't know this about her from watch, listening to this podcast, I don't know, you got to turn your volume up. She, her love language is gift giving. So of course she comes armed with a gorgeous gift from both of us that she has fully picked out and wrapped and everything. Uh, for his kids, like these beautiful, all this bag of beautiful like trinkets and books and stuff for the kids. And I, a skeptic as always, was like, he might just give that to an assistant and never even look at it. No, the next day he messages and says, public comment, thank you so much for the gifts for the kids. They're amazing. So that's all, Lisa. They were expensive. Um, they were expensive. <laughs> it was weird buying a multimillionaire presence, but his, <laughs> my thought was he's given us over 15 years of entertainment. And we, if we can't give him a little something back, who are we? Yeah, it's the cornerstone and his children are so cute and he doesn't actually need anything for himself. So it was just like a token of appreciation for how much he's really done for all of us. I mean, what would our group chats be about? What would we talk about? Like, I would like to see an alternate universe where Bravo didn't exist. And then it was like, <laughs> would I ever have a friend again? Like, I, it really <laughs> is such a glue between everyone. But then that's another thing that was amazing. But that morning or the day before I checked into the hotel, the nightstand collapsed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I moved it back a little to plug in my laptop and it just went and like fully broke. The legs gave out of this nightstand. Thank God I wasn't standing underneath. Thank God my laptop wasn't on it. I mean, it was just like, Wild, a wild start. That's Drama what I mean. The up and the downs. Jump. Yes, yeah. Just like these wilds, up and downs, of um, being on the road, baby. I'm trying to think of. Did we? Oh, we ate good food. I don't know. What else did we do? Well, before that, we were in Indianapolis and we shared the hotel with a hunting and crossbow convention. <laughs> It was so crazy. It was. And that wasn't the craziest part. The craziest part was, I mean, and the difference. Indiana, we have the most incompetent hotel employee I have ever, ever come across in the history of my life. Then we're in New York City. And this woman, I'm like, you better be in med school. You, What are you doing Oh, here? yeah. We just stayed at a hotel Impeccable. where the woman... She was amazing. We stopped on her floor to say goodbye before we left. Lisa was like, we got to go say goodbye to our girl. Like, she was amazing. She just knew all the details, not a question to be asked. It was like, and this password is here. We go here. We have this at this time. This means this. This is that. Enjoy. And it was like, excuse me? But she was yeah. also covering people's shifts. So she worked like 40 hours 
Like, we saw her at night when we checked in. In the afternoon the next day when we came back, like, she just never left because she was covering friends' shifts so they could go on vacation. And just friendly, competent, incredible. I had to print something. She let me get on her computer. Like, I don't know. And then in Indiana, we both got charged. The woman knew nothing. She We got in at past midnight. We got in at 6 a.m. So oh. you book a hotel for the night before because you can't have them turn you away at 6 a.m. when you're fucking exhausted, right? Yeah. Um, that's the thing. Like, the, the check-in's not till 3 p.m., so a room's not guaranteed. You always book for two days. And so we get there. She goes, we gave your rooms away. Um, and we're like, excuse me. She goes, well, you didn't come before midnight. I go, yeah, but if we booked it today, you wouldn't give us a room, would you? And she goes, Oh, yeah. Okay. And then, you know, clickety-clack-clack. And then I for, there were other things, but then at the end she goes, okay, and put your card in. I go, for what? She goes, the room. I go, our room is paid for. We're performing at the comedy club. Oh, you're right. We still got charged. Uh, we did. And she we're was so slow. And Kara just was like, that's why she's on the night shift. That is why she's That's why she's shift. here on the night shift. She this is woman is not for dates. She's she's not ready for a high high traffic hours. Wait, the best was like we get into the elevator with a couple of these hunter crossbow people later and Lisa goes, "So did you guys all go do archery today?" It was so fucking funny. They all looked like they were like what? And then they, and then she was like, like the hunting. And they were like, oh. And then she was like, so what do you guys do? Just talk about hunting? And they were like, yeah, I mean, we'd rather be hunting, of course. And then later, after our show, we went to go have a drink at the hotel bar and they were all in there. Lisa and I were two of the only women in the entire bar. And you bet your ass, they approached. It was... But they looked like my favorite murder, guys. Like, that's what they looked like. Like criminals on my favorite murder? Not my favorite murder. <laughs> the murder in Wisconsin. What is that called? Oh, making a murder. Ma That's they all what look they like look making there. a murderer. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's so funny. They, they look, look like, like Karen and George. <laughs> no, they look like, like Wisconsin fucking uh, junkyards. That's what they look like. They all just looked like guys that like to hunt. And they came up to us and were like, where are you guys from? And we're like, and we were, Lisa was just giving them like nooch, as they say. Well, I was already <laughs> high. But because I could talk to any, you know, I met, Kara's 45 to 70 people this trip, okay? <laughs> I met college friends, camp friends, high school friends, childhood friends. I met everybody, and I talked to everybody. I yes. could talk to people. You can I talk to questions. anyone. Uh, what am I going to do? Oh, how do you bleed out your deer? Get the fuck yeah. away from me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know. If you're not a feminist, I can't. Like, I can't try. If there's not a hope inside of you that you might have some sort of respect towards women. I just can't. Well, we just had really nothing to talk to them about. Like, they came up, they were like, where are you from? We said- California, don't like, you hate blah, it? Blah, California? Blah. Yeah, like, it was just like, and then they went and sat down and one guy came back and we were like, sir, it's not happening. Like, well, this is what bothered me too, because if they came up and was like, you're out of place, what are you guys doing here? It would be like, oh, I know, what's with the hunting? And then we could start. What they did one of my pet peeves, which is they came in and goes, Why are you two girls fighting? And it's like, We're not, we're talking. And it's like, You got, <laughs> we're here to, so and it's just like implying so much, inserting yourself so much when we are talking. Like, I think interrupting someone's evening to think that you are more interesting than them without like, in, like, acknowledging reality. It just bothered me. It just bothered yeah. me when they they came up and just said, you guys are fighting. And it's like, no, we're enjoying each other's company. 
Um, but so that bothered me. If they were just like, you can't be here for the hunting, it would be different. I just hated the intro of it all. It really, it doesn't, I don't like it. Yeah. Because it, there's a tinge of misogyny in it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. But the show in Indy was great. Thank you to everybody. And they're who came married. Out. Yeah, they're probably married. They I'm wearing blacked, a wedding ring. But they're also blacked out drunk. We were pretty <laughs> sober. I'm on shingles medication. I did have another flare up. <laughs> and that's what my doctor said. She goes, for, Yeah, he was just like, Yeah, from now on, when you're stressed or sick, you will have shingles. So from now on. Yeah, he just said, listen, like when you're stressed or sick and your immunity goes down, you will have flare ups. That is it. Like that is my life now. What? But I messaged about the vaccine and may um it might decrease. Oh, okay. Did That'd you not good. tell me that? No. I've sp- we spent so much time together. It's uh, honestly, and I, there's no stop in sight. I don't even think we're getting a day yeah. off. Like really. Let me tell you guys. Wait, we also have to talk about the New York hotel, in terms of not not one space to open our suitcases, but an exercise ball. They provided a giant exercise ball, but I couldn't open my suitcase. There were literally like TRX cables so you could like do standing like presses. But those don't take but not space. not a place. Yeah. So that's not okay. Not a place to put a suitcase. And they had a shelf made especially for yoga blocks. I go, how about a place to open my suitcase? Like, it was just so funny. <laughs> it was wild. Well, we didn't talk about the flight thing. Oh my God. I had an earlier flight than Lisa and I just thought that we were on the same flight. So I check in. I don't even notice. Like, I'm like, I check in the day before, don't even notice. And so the whole time we're planning for a 10:20 flight, but my flight's 8.45. So we wake up at 6.30 and my flight's like, ready to receive you at 8.45 for your flight. And I'm like, Lisa, our flight got changed. Cause I, I like wasn't putting it together that I just was on a different flight. And and so Lisa luckily is Diamond Medallion and was able to like call and then we figured out it was my mistake and then they just moved me to a new flight and it was like no charge, no big deal. But whoo! But the initial like wake up was very like... Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like... Because ah! <laughs> we had a rental car we had to return. I was like, do I have to just run to the airport and make Lisa return the car? And like, ah, like I don't know what's going no, on. No, that was the one time in the history of our relationships that I had to be like, Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Because that's why I can't even be next to a tech because if anything goes wrong, I just, I can't keep it together. But in this one moment, I was like, you need to relax. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I'm finding out. I was like, okay. But also, also the flight was so empty. Like there was a guy next to me and when I fell asleep and woke up, he was gone. Like I think everybody just moved to their own row. So luckily the flights for Delta seem like they've been a little bit more chill. But really quick, we will be a f- couple of places in February. We yes, are going to yes. be at JFL Vancouver and tickets are going fast. So don't forget to get tickets for that. If you live anywhere near Vancouver, we're going to be there on February 20th as part of the JFL Festival, but you can buy individual tickets for our show. And then we're going to be in Portland at Helium Baby on 221. Uh, and then on 222, we're going to be in Tacoma. So if you live in the Seattle area, I think it's right outside. Come on up, come see us. Uh, we had a blast in Seattle last time we were there. And um, we love you guys. So come on out. Those are our three dates right now. I'm sure we're going to have more to announce later, but that's our little mini Pacific Northwest situation. I know. That's what's so funny. People are like, when's the, sh- when's the tour over? And it's like, I guess officially this one is done, but... 
We're coming Never. back ever. <laughs> yeah, we are we are ready. We love doing the live shows. We have so much fun. Yeah. We love the PowerPoints and we love meeting everyone after. And it's just been like so fun. I yeah. just am a complainer. So my instinct is always to be like, this guy's an idiot. But overall, like <laughs> you can never take my complaints at anything but uh, what is it? Face value. Is that right or yeah. am I wrong? Like I am deep down always happy. Yes, yes. But, Even though you're complaining, you're very positive. I am. It's like a really <laughs> fucked up twist. My toxic trait, I complain even though I'm happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and also, yeah, and a, so a bunch of people came to shows like wearing the beanies, wearing the purple sweatshirt, yeah. wearing the like the zip up. So if you guys are interested in our merch, it's really fun. It's uh, that's my... That's messed up live.com actually is where you can get tickets and it has a link to our merch. So just go to that's messed up live.com, see if we're coming near you, uh, check out the merch, and that's all. I'm done selling you guys. We should get started because this is a hot episode today. Super hot. Okay, this episode is shaken, taking it back to season five, episode 10. This came out in 2003. God. 20 years ago, almost. Um, so we open on two nannies gabbing at a playground. One is old and one is young. And uh, like the young girl sends like this little girl named Lucy on her way. And she's very stern. She's like, Lucy, do not take your jacket off. I'm not going to tell you again. It's like, okay, bitch, calm down. And Lucy looks, I don't know, two at max. I don't know. And uh, she toddles on off. And the older nanny is going on and on about how she's so in demand right now. And another family offered to double her salary. But she just couldn't leave little Jack. He's devoted to her. And it's like, ma'am, he's a child. He's like devoted to who gives him goldfish. Um, and the young girl is like, please give me the job. I hate Mrs. Pritchard. And Lucy does not obey me. And it's like, wow, a nanny who's never met a child before. This is wild. Uh, and the older lady is like, well, her mom spoils her. Have you tried timeouts? It's like timeouts barely work, but they certainly don't work for a two-year-old. Rosie today said to me, you should give Oscar a timeout. And I'm like, I don't even give you timeouts and you're three and a half. And Oscar has no idea. If I just sat him in another room, he's like the age of this baby. He'd be like, what am I doing here? It does not teach any lessons. Where did Rosie learn about timeouts? Um, Probably like TV shows or something. We don't do them. Sometimes I tell her, do you need to go to your room and be by yourself for a little bit and like calm down if she's like freaking out? But I'm never like, go to your room and be alone, like as a punishment. I know someone that I follow online. They have two um, Frenchies. And when the Frenchies misbehave, they put them on top of like a really high chair that they can't get <laughs> yes. down from. And they're, they have to they have to sit up on a high chair. We funny. had a chair. My little brothers, I don't think I had the chair, but my little brothers did. And we would send them to their chair. And they just had to, it was a chair in the dining room that faced a wall. And they just had to sit and stare at the wall for a little while as their punishment. Um, but... Anyway, um, the older lady is like, yeah, have you tried timeouts? And then the younger nanny says, no, we don't do timeouts because the mom says that it will stunt Lucy's creativity. Probably correct. And the older nanny is like, bring her to me. I'm the god of nannies. I'll straighten her out. And this is when they realize, oh, fuck, no one has been watching this child for like this entire conversation. And the nanny goes ballistic trying to find her like, Lucy, Lucy, screaming. And we don't see where this kid is. Cut to Stabler on the scene with a uniform who's telling her, giving him the scoop. And is like, her name's Lucy. Her nanny is Sarah. And the older lady's name is Veronica Nash. And they, they uh, Veronica Nash has told them that there has been like a quote unquote freak hanging around the playground. And if it was a pedophile snatching, we wanted to give SVU the early heads up. And then like Daddy Cragen is there. And it's like, 
what in the white missing child is going on? Like, why would he just like the captain of the SVU be there when a kid has been missing for like 20 minutes? But um, I guess it's because Liv is on an emergency hearing, but it's still wild for the captain to show up. And then Cragen and Stabler are examining the area plotting out where, like, a pedophile may have, like, laid in wait. And then suddenly, eagle-eyed Stabler spots something in the brush, and he runs over, and it's like, the little girl is just lying underneath tons of shrubbery a little ways away from the playground, and he just scoops her up, and she's so small. Like, this is a really, really little kid, and she's, yeah. like, in little tights and Mary Jane's. Like, she's really small. Um, and then we're at the credits. So, dun-dun, what is happening here? At the hospital, we are getting the lowdown from a doctor that— We've seen before, but this is her first episode. This is Dr. Anne Morella, played by Julie White. And this is her first of five episodes, but she was also in the episode Head about the horny um, teacher who had a tumor. And then the episode Starved, the Dean Kane episode. I think she's the one that like tells that. She's like always the one telling them that someone's brain dead and never going to come back. And um, yeah. So and she's the, on the brain floor. Yeah, she's the brain gal. Wait, I wonder if like throughout the years, the different doctors are on different floors or if it is all just like ER triage, like that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I do wonder now if she's the head girl, like if the surfer guy has a specialty or like But they're always at outside. different hospitals too. Oh, like yeah, they're, they're, I this forgot. One, at St. Mark's and like other times there are other ones like yeah so but who I knows? forgot I, I just got I excited if, <laughs> I wonder if they all see each other at a conference every year and they're like what do you think about Stabler what a hothead you know like I wonder if they talk about it all the but, doctors um, have their own Christmas party <laughs> Um, anyway, she explains that Lucy has intracranial bleeding and a laceration on the back of her head, but no skull fracture. So she basically has like a cut on the back of her head, but not, not enough that it like caused the intracranial bleeding. So they're on her way to surgery right now. Uh, they didn't do a rape kit because her clothing was all intact and they did a quick luma light and didn't find any semen. And, you know, so I guess we're putting that to bed. Cragen tells Elliot that the mom is en route. She works at an ad agency downtown and that the dad died of a heart attack last year. So they go talk to the nanny. They're asking about the strange guy, the like quote unquote freak that was hanging out. And she said she never saw him, but Veronica did. And she's like, and I'm there every day with, with Lucy. So it's like, weird. I've never seen this, this like, you know, creep as she describes. And Sarah's saying she doesn't remember any weird strangers at all. And that's when the mother Evelyn Pritchard arrives and she's, you know, oh, Lucy, where are you? Very dramatic. And she's played by Cynthia Edinger. Um, I thought I recognized her from stuff. She's been in a lot. She was in Carnival. She was in a bunch of episodes of Deadwood. I did notice in her credits that on Curb Your Enthusiasm, she played the role of fellatio teacher. So I don't know if that's an episode people remember. Well, but, she was uh, also in, a in another SVU. Yeah, she is. What is that one? With your guy, with Titus. Oh, yes. Um, with Bosch or whatever. What's his name? Welliger? Titus Welliger. Um, she is, so he, this is one of my, that it is one of my favorite episodes, but like Titus plays a bad dad and the daughter's found on the train tracks and she's abused and has marks that she's been tied down. And the dad, we find out like wants tons of kids, but the mom, Evelyn can't get pregnant. And so like, I don't know, but he, he also lets other people fuck her to get lots of kids. And the daycare in their house is actually all of their kids. And there's a head in the wall. It is a wild episode. <laughs> <laughs> She's had an amazing SVU career. Yeah, yeah. So 
That's her. Um, And she's obviously distraught. She goes right in for Sarah. Like, how could you let this happen? And then she just starts monologuing about like, I don't know what I'll do if I lose my daughter and this and that. And she starts sobbing into Stabler's chest and is like, why is God punishing me? And Stabler's like, oh, another God-fearing person like myself. And he directs her to the hospital chapel. (laughs) They go talk to the other nanny, Veronica Nash. And I knew this woman was familiar. And she is. And here's who she is. Her name is Olga Meredith. She plays Abuela Claudia in In the Heights, the oh movie. Oh, my God. And in Encanto, she is the singing voice of Abuela Alma. So if you're a person that has watched Encanto 75,000 times, you've heard this woman sing when she's like, the miracle is you, just you. That's her. And... She's been in five episodes of SVU in more recent seasons as Judge Roberta Martinez in seasons 18 through 22. She's a judge. So we've seen this woman around and we've heard her voice, a legend, a singer. And anyway, this woman, the character though, thinks she invented nannying. She says, Sarah's a babysitter. She's not a certified nanny. And this happens when children are left with unqualified caregivers. And she says, she noticed the creep and Sarah didn't because she's better trained. And at first she thought this dude was just a dad trying to get candid shots of the pictures of the kids, but he wasn't. And so now she takes Stabler to the rocks where she saw the guy taking the photos. And now she's going to go downtown for a, a sketch. And she's like, anything to help. Suddenly, there's like a reporter from the Trib and Elliot's face. And he's looking for a scoop. And I'm like, have you ever gotten a scoop from Elliot Stabler, sir? Like, I don't know why you think this is going to happen. And... um the convo seamlessly blends into Stabler running into CSU Captain Judith Cyper. She's like, sorry, I tried to get the guy to scram, but no dice. She says the area where the girl was found was totally clean, so she's got nothing to go on. And then at the top of the rocks, what do you know? The guy left an empty film box behind him like it's 1975. And no one has been on those rocks in, you know, a couple of days. Well, I guess he was there the day of the problem, which is that day. So back at the precinct, Huang is like, film is a weird choice. Like, pedophiles love photos, but they have gone digital. Like, they don't want to get busted taking their film to get developed. So unless you have a dark room, it's not really a great, you know, a great move. So um, he just says it's a risky move for a pedophile. And Cragen enters with the goods... Um, about the fingerprints from the film box and they belong to Dennis Papillion and he has a record for burglary. He works at a drugstore on Broadway and he fits Veronica's description, which seems like the description of most men. They go to the drugstore. This guy's operating the photo kiosk. So this is a full red herring. He's been at work since 7 a.m. The reason his film prints are on the film is because he sells the film. And he remembers developing the film for a guy who brought in a bunch of pictures of kids playing really boring shit. And he just hands them this guy's pictures and his address and name. And his name is Ronnie Ickles and he's on 29th Street. Now we cut to this random dude who's in custody sitting with Craig and he goes, hold on, I'm no damn baby raper. And it's like, I love 2003. And so, uh, again, there's no sexual assaults evidence on this little girl, so I don't even know why we're going there. But they're like, why were you taking pictures of random children, you psycho? And he's like, I was working. I'm a PI, but he's not certified yet. And he didn't want to get involved. So when the cops showed up, he was like, I'm out of here. He didn't want to get busted, basically. Um, And his client is a rich guy named David Jeffries. And shocker, he's not a pervert who wants pictures of little kids. He just wanted to make sure that his nanny was treating his kid right. This is a big nannying episode. And the worst thing he got was the nanny smoking, which is wild. I was a babysitter and a nanny for a long time when I smoked and I never smoked with the kids. But 
Back to the drawing board. Liv walks in. She's in this episode like very briefly. She's This is a very stable or heavy episode. We don't get a lot of Liv. She walks in. They're talking about how Lucy's still in surgery. Elliot lays out all the photographs that they got from this guy and they're time stamped. And so they really kind of set up a whole timeline of everything that happened. And there was really only like one minute between when he had Lucy on film and to when the nanny starts spinning around looking for her and causing a scene. So something is up. Like no one was even near her. Maybe there was no crime. Maybe she tripped and conked her head. And Stabler's like, yeah, kids fall all the time. They don't usually need surgery. And then ring-a-ding-ding, the phone call comes that calls Stabler back to the hospital because Lucy's doctor wants to talk to him. At the hospital, the doctor tells him that Lucy is stable but still unconscious. She has bilateral subdural hematomas with retinal shearing, which Stabler immediately knows is shaken baby syndrome. Hard. It's, I know that shaken. It's obviously something very serious, but I can't stop thinking about shake and bake. Do you remember those commercials? <laughs> it's shake and bake, and I helped. <laughs> so you really do. Okay, I do. <laughs> I, really I never do. did it, but it does sound fun. like it seems. I never fun. did it. Yeah, I probably would have loved it. Anyway, shake and bake, shake and baby syndrome. So hard to say. <laughs> um, the doctor says it's hard to say it's what. It's so Lucy's disrespectful. Are. I know we love rude. babies, but it's it is just like. So the baby was shaken baked. I don't know. <laughs> just, um, but there is a more modern term and we'll get into oh, it yes. when we talk we're about the crime. But this, yes. we're, we're staying in this fantasy of the early 2000s. Exciting. Um, so, yeah, the doctor says it's hard to say what her chances are, but if she does recover, she'll probably have permanent brain damage. Someone shook this kid so hard it damn near killed her. And um, Stabler is concerned because, you know, he gets his concern face on because you could just see, like, the flashes of all his own children in his eyes. Um, and now Melinda's in the house giving everyone the rundown on shaken baby syndrome. And she's, like, talking about how bilateral subdermal hematomas are the most common injury with shaken baby syndrome. And they're basically bruises on your brain. Like, my mom famously fell, famously, I feel like I've talked about it before, but maybe I haven't. She fell in a restaurant in San Francisco in, like, November. And not until, like, late December did we find out she got a subdural hematoma from it. She was just bleeding in her brain. She had to have a full operation, like, where her like head was cut open to like relieve the pressure of the bleeding. Because when she fell, her head snapped back so quickly. And when you get older with age... That's more likely to happen. But, she's but it was so scary. A doctor. So what how did she know she was having symptoms? Because I feel like it's dangerous when people die because they don't know. After about five weeks, she started having horrible headaches. Like the headaches came in, but it didn't happen right away. And then she went to the doctor immediately. Yeah. And then she went to the doctor. Well, finally, we like made her. Doctors are notorious for this shit. She like will not go to the doctor when she has a problem. We forced her. And I think my brother did. And they brought her and finally we found out what the fuck happened. And she had to have a whole operation. It was so scary. So definitely if you have a bad fall, check it out. Get checked out. But, but can anyway, they see right away? You said five weeks later, she realized. Like if she went to the doctor the next day, how would they know? I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe it would take, it would have taken longer. But I think my mom did ignore the headaches for longer than she should have. If you have like persistent headaches, you got to go get checked out. It's you so never know. scary because, you know, yeah. they don't know um, what happened to Bob Saget yet, really. Yeah. But he did have, like, a brain injury. Like, someone, like there was something. And I wonder if that could happen where you get hit, but then prolonged yeah. time comes in. It's really, I didn't realize that this, this is scary. I didn't realize. Yeah. This, that can happen. 
Yeah, and I don't think a subdermal hematoma like on its own is like, yeah, but you just have to, and I think this girl was shaken a lot harder than my mom's fall, you know what I mean? But just the way that my mom's brain like I think smacked the back of her skull, it did a little uh, bruise. But anyway, Melinda's explaining all this. She has a fucking doll that she shakes. Casey Novak's there taking this all in too. Then she shakes an egg in a jar to observe, to basically demonstrate what happens. I'm like, you have so many props, <laughs> Melinda Warner the Gallagher of Emmys. And um, Novak is like, uh, so you can testify that shaken baby syndrome is the only cause, the only thing that could have killed, like hurt this child. It didn't, it didn't kill her. What, what could have hurt this child? And she goes, yep, the medical report confirms it. Plus she has compression fractures on her ribs, which means somebody grabbed her like really hard to shake her on her ribs. And Casey's wondering how this could have happened out in the open in such a short amount of time, like at the playground. And Melinda's like, I think based on the blood pooling in the skull cavity, the attack actually happened 12 to 48 hours earlier. So she would have been sleepy, vomiting, but ambulatory for the couple of days. So I guess like that's another thing too. If you have like, if you're really lethargic and feeling out of it and you're vomiting for no reason, like, but you've also had a recent head thing, get checked out, you know? So anyone who has had contact with her in the last three days is a suspect. At the hospital, Stabler's explaining it all to Evelyn, who doesn't get how um, yesterday her daughter was walking and talking and fine, and now this. And he's like, well, it's a slow process. I'm sure the doctors explained it. And she's like, well, the only adults Lucy spends time with are me and Sarah. And they're like, do you have a boyfriend? And then this is what I love, because we've been talking about how the captions have great descriptions of sounds. The caption over her says, mirthless chuckle. <laughs> I was like, get me a t-shirt that says mirthless chuckle. So funny. She goes, I haven't dated since my husband died. And she's like, I worked late. And when I got home, Lucy was asleep. And I hate working late, but I got to get the overtime, babe. And so Lucy was alone with Sarah basically for like all of these two days because of how much the mom had to work. So they're like, well, what's your feeling on Sarah? And the mom's like, she's okay. I mean, I want someone with more experience, but I can't afford it. And then she's like, I caught her yelling at Sarah once, but if she had hit her, I would have fired her. Sometimes she, she sees bruises and marks on Sarah on um, on Lucy, but Sarah always says she fell down or got hit at the playground. And I was like, yeah, probably by my brute of a son, Oscar. He just walks up to any child and smacks them. He's horrible <laughs> uh, these days. <laughs> he was. He's been such a gentle little boy. I can't believe he's out there hitting. But he has Rosie because Rosie's taken things from him. Rosie's in his grill and now he's like, I, now I fight back. He's like, I'm older, I can walk. He's Jennifer Lopez back. in enough. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's been taking Taekwondo on the side and he's like, now I fucking rise up. And I don't know, but he just goes up to random kids and pushes them. And I'm always like, but he smiles when he does it. I think he thinks he's being nice and playful. Anyway, um, now Stabler is talking to Sarah, the nanny again. And she's like, well, my hours are eight to six, which is a brutal fucking long day with a child. I'll say that. My hours are eight to six, but Evelyn never gets home till after four, after nine. And, she, and, and he's like, wow, those are long hours. Like Stabler's really trying to like befriend her and he's and she's like yeah Lucy was a colicky baby and now she's a screamer she has huge tantrums when her mom goes out and he's like oh you couldn't pay me to do what you do I hear a kid scream it makes me insane and it's like yeah good thing you're never around to help raise your kids Stabler <laughs> <laughs> like um I'm shocked there's not more FaceTime with him and his kid. Oh, I guess there's no babies here. Maybe if like baby uh, Elliot was already around. Yeah. But they yeah. usually try to make, you know, he's holding a baby then thinking. Tie it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, but but you can tell he's trying to get her to trust him by being like, yeah, these fucking kids, am I right? Like, girl, I feel you, you know? And she admits that she spanked Lucy like a little while ago when she threw a toy at her, even though Evelyn told her not to. And that's wild too. I mean, I guess 20 years ago maybe was a different time, but I've never hit a kiss back to kid that I babysat for um, ever or my own kids. But I don't know. It just feels like worse to smack a kid that's not yours. <laughs> like you could get in like, I would never smack my own kids, but you know, I wouldn't smack, I wouldn't even tap a kid on the butt with like a little spank for a kid I'm babysitting for. But I used to smack, smack my brothers, I guess, but not not for discipline, just to terrorize them. Yeah, I never had the urge to hit a kid. Usually when kids are really bad, <laughs> I would just be like, I would just give up and be like, fine. You want to throw yeah. it, throw it. Not my life. I'm not coming back. What about if there's a kid crying in first class? Ever had the urge then? No, because I feel bad for the parents. I really do. Um, I, I do. Even if I'm annoyed or whatnot, I'm never like pissed at a kid and I feel bad. Yes, Unless you're a normal that's, person. That's not true though. If you're not doing anything. Yes, that's what I always say. If the parents then are sitting I'm there scrolling their phone while their kid is screaming on an airplane, then I'm mad, you know? Yeah, of all my years of childcare and camps and all of it, like, I've also never been in a physical fight with an adult. Like, I just don't think that's yeah. my urge in any way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I used to smack around my little brother. We would smack each other, but like, I've ne I always say I've never physically hurt anybody I'm not related to. Like, it's only my siblings, <laughs> you know? Um... Like I've pulled my, I've pulled the shit out of my sister's hair when I was a kid. Damn. Anyway, she finally gets that Elliot thinks she's the one that hurt Lucy. And she's like, wait, you don't think I did? I didn't do anything. And then they're like, well, then why don't you take, he's like, take a polygraph. And she's like, I'm scared. And then we think she's about to confess, but twist, she confesses to stealing from the mom's purse. She's like, I take money from the mom's purse, five or 10 bucks at a time. Like it's a lot of snot acting happening. She's got a drip of snot coming down. And you know. I know, but it's like, babe, this is SVU. They don't care about that. The yeah. nice confession. But because of that, I believe that she wouldn't do that. Like for yes. how, you know. She does get upset at the idea that she's going to get busted for stealing maybe a total of $100. And so, uh, you know, Stabler... She, Stabler buys it. He's like, I don't think she did it. And Novak's like, based on what? And he's like, my gut. She's like, too bad your gut's not admissible in court, babe. And Huang's like, well, she does fit the profile. Overworked, like long hours with child with a child, you know, who misbehaves. And Stabler's like, she's tweaking over a couple bucks. And Novak's like, yeah, or she's a complete sociopath that's like making you think that she didn't do anything. Cragen shows up to drop a bomb that the Trib just posted a story, a published a story, because it's actually not the internet about this and that a witness saw Sarah abusing Lucy and the piece was written by Ian Felson and Dun Dun, it's the guy we met earlier at the park. So Stabler shows up to talk to this reporter who's out waiting for a perp walk, like a full TMZ reporter. And Stabler's like, give me your witness and I'll give you exclusive on the arrest. And the guy's like, no problem. Calls his witness on his flippity flip phone yeah, and he's like... Most journalists are so into keeping their sources private I, it's like interesting. This guy's like, yeah, but yeah, I'll I think give it it's because this is a shitty paper. I think this is supposed to be like the post or like a rag. And the guy's like, oh, I guess I'll ask her if she's okay with it if you're going to give me exclusive on the arrest. Like if it does something for me, you know? Yeah. So he calls his source and he and then he gets off the phone with her and he's like, yeah, she says she's down to talk to you. It's Veronica Nash. Done, done. That's the other nanny. And we've already talked to that bitch. So what the hell? She knew more and she didn't say. Obviously, Stabler's not going to take that well. So now he's over at her place and he's like, you never 
never told me any of this. And she's like, well, you never asked. I thought we were focusing on the pedophile picture taker. And he wants to know what she told the reporter exactly. And she starts talking major shit about this poor little shaken baby. She's like, <laughs> Lucy is difficult, willful, defiant. And it's like, who is it, bitch? Like, she's one and a half years old, basically, or two. Like, they're all willful and defiant. Sarah can't control her and gets frustrated and hits Lucy. This is what Veronica is alleging. And she says she's seen it more than once. And then she said, a few weeks ago, they took their kids to the museum and Lucy was going off and a staff member yelled at Sarah to get control of her and then Sarah smacked Lucy across the face hard. So now, like a good cop that doesn't probably exist in real life, Stabler's at the New York Children's Museum talking to the woman who was like running the kids area. And she's like, oh yeah, I remember Lucy. Really spirited it. Really spirited child. She wanted to touch everything. We love that. So she's acting like she appreciates Lucy's kind of like wild behavior. And she's like, it's an interactive play site. We're down, you know? And then she said, we didn't really care that she was being loud and touching all the stuff. It was the nanny who got pissed and she hit the little girl really hard. And then she's like, I went to get a security guard, but when I got back, they were gone. So then he shows the woman, the teacher lady from the museum. I don't know what to call this this museum, like docent. I don't know who she is, but she works at the museum with the children. And she's like, he's like, look at the picture. Is this the woman pointing to Sarah? And she's like, well, 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 the woman who hit the kid is Veronica, not Sarah. She IDs Veronica as the child slapper. Done, done. So Stabler comes in hot and gets right in Veronica's face. She's in interrogation. She's like, well, Lucy deserves a spanking. She needs discipline. And he's like, you're sick, lady. You need attention so badly you run out and lie to a reporter, which is wild. Like, why would you go to a reporter just to have your name in the paper, I guess, is what Stabler accuses her of. But it's like, you're the one that's been smacking kids. It's like, Erica Jane, why are you going on a reality? Why is your husband letting you on a reality show when he's got a huge ring? Jen Shaw, why are you going on a reality show when you have a full crime syndicate happening underneath you? Anyway, it's just so stupid what people do, but they need attention. So she was like, listen, it wasn't me that shook the kid because I was at my employer's country home all weekend. And that just reminds me about how my sister is was a public... She still is a public school teacher in New York City, but she used to teach at a different school with fifth graders. And they would always be like, where's your country house, Miss Caitlin? And she'd be like, not everybody has a country house. <laughs> like, they just thought oh, everybody has one. So uh, her alibi does check out. So she did smack the baby, but she didn't shake her. And Tr Cragen's like, we could still go after Veronica for assaulting Lucy. The papers will crucify her. She'll lose her job. And Stabler's like, do it. And then... Cragen, you know, always getting to the psychological is like, what are you really mad at, Elliot? Is it her or yourself? And he's like, I'm just pissed I spent a whole day chasing around this woman's lies when there's like a little kid in the hospital dying and I can't like, I'm not getting anywhere on her case. In walks Munch with the results of Sarah's polygraph test and she passed with flying colors, which doesn't matter. Polygraphs aren't real. Uh, they don't matter. Like, they're easy to beat, apparently, and they don't hold up in court. So I don't really know why that exonerates her. But I know she didn't do it. But I'm just saying when they rely on a polygraph, it confuses me. Um, Munch says, the only thing the Trib is good for is lining my birdcage. And do we think Munch has a bird? Or do you think it's just a figure of speech? He would. He would have a fucking bird. He would have a what bird think or a his, reptile. Yeah, and his bird would be named, like... Socrates. Yeah, or... Pushkin. What's a what's like a grassy knoll reference or something? Like something about JFK assassination. So anyway, Stabler heads back now, to the Now I really think he has a bird that talks. I really do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe his bird is named my ex-wife. So whenever he talks about my ex-wife, it's the bird he's talking about. <laughs> 
Anyway, Stabler heads back to the hospital <laughs> and Evelyn's like by her daughter's side. And it's so sad. We're not really getting a full look of this baby, but we're seeing a very tiny body in like a crib with around the head bandage and like tubes. It's sad. And um, Evelyn's like, any updates, detectives? And she's like, well, and he's like, well, Sarah's in the clear. So she's like, well, then who hurt Lucy? And he's like, why don't you tell me, bitch? And he's like, you and Sarah are the only ones that were with her. So what's up? Now we got to look at you or what's happening. And suddenly she has more info. Suddenly she's like, okay, I should have told you before, but there was someone else. I just didn't think he could have done this. And it's a man I've been seeing. His name is Drew Farmer. He's married. And I did leave him alone with Lucy. Done, done. End of act two. Top of act three, we got Drew Farmer. And he is her boss. And she's been having an affair with him for a couple of months. And that explains all the overtime. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. So all the time she's been at the office. He also looks familiar. Who is this guy? I don't know. One of the ones I didn't look up. Well, they bring this guy in and he's deny, deny, deny. He's like, Evelyn's just an employee. And it's like, sir, they've already brought you in. They fucking know everything. She's the only one working overtime that's on your support staff. And guess what? She only works overtime when your wife is out of town. Dun, dun. He says he never touched the girl. So it's a full admission about the affair. And he's like, if my wife finds out, she'll cut my balls off. And Stabler's like, criminal court will do worse. And he's like, I don't know what happened to Lucy. Stabler is like painting the scene. He's like, you're having a nice romantic evening. Then your girlfriend has to go out to the store. And then the kid wakes up. She won't shut the fuck up. It's, you're not going to get your rocks off. Stabler's hammering him. And he's like, you shook her to shut her up. And he's like, no, I just picked her up. And then she puked all over me. And he's like, uh, Evelyn never mentioned the throw. And she's like, and the guy goes, I never told Evelyn. I didn't want to spoil the mood. And then he realizes, fuck, something was wrong with the kid. And I never told the mom And I could have maybe saved your life. Like, I never said to the mom, hey, your daughter just barfed everywhere, like, for no reason. He just cleaned it up and, like, put her back to bed. So it's not enough to hold the guy on, unfortunately, just being an asshole who doesn't tell a mom when her kid barfs. And so Stabler's really pissed off. He's like, this poor girl's in the hospital, can't speak, and all the adults in her life are lying. And Cragen's like— They are all assholes, but, like, I don't know if if everyone knows puke is dangerous. You know what I mean? Like— I definitely think you tell a mom when their kid threw up. I w- well, I wouldn't clean it up. Yes. <laughs> I would go, your kid puked. <laughs> your kid puked. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. But you wouldn't be like, uh, it happened. No, no, everything's fine. Didn't hear a word from her. Like, no, I don't know. That's right. a little you're weird. Right. Like, yeah. you know. And so... Cragen's like, all right, well, let's go back to the medical evidence of it all. And at Melinda's office, and she's running through the timeline of Lucy's three days before the hospitalization. Like, Sunday night is the date night where she barfs. Monday, the babysitter describes her as lethargic. Tuesday is when she collapses in the park. So her vomit Sunday night is a classic sign of head trauma. And so the symptoms and the time frame point to Evelyn, Lucy's mom. And um, because, you know, Sarah doesn't work on the weekend. So they have to connect to Evelyn if they can match her hand size to the size of the rib fracture, like the the bruising of the rib fracture, which seems, again, like a reach. A lot of people have similar sized hands. I don't know. But I guess <laughs> to narrow it down of the people that have been with her, uh, outside the hospital, they Evelyn's like sitting on a bench enjoying some fresh air and they... they um, Stabler and Melinda grab her and are like, hey, mind if you just hold out your hand like this in like an L-shaped, like a too legit to quit uh, L. And then she runs this machine and she goes, it's a match. So she's measuring the size of her hand. Not sure how that's a legal way to identify someone, but here we are. And she says, I'm a good mother. I didn't hurt Lucy. And they Mirandize her as they take her ass away. 
Now, top of act four, in interrogation, Stabler tells Casey he didn't get a confession because Evelyn lawyered up. And a jury will not, fe- um, will not feel bad for a woman who scrambled her kid's brain, is what Novak says. And then Elliot's like, every parent has been there. And they're chatting about Stabler's parenting woes, which I'm like, when are you ever doing it? And in walks the amazing fucking legend, Beverly D'Angelo, who we all know and love. And she's playing defense attorney Rebecca Balthus. This is her third episode out of five as this character. So she's played Rebecca Balthus um, five times. And then if you watch more recent seasons, she's come back as Carisi's mother, Serafina Carisi, the most Italian name of all time. So... Rebecca Balthus obviously thinks they're railroading her client. And Casey has such a great line. She goes, oh, what, like, like, what's the defense? Temporary insanity brought on by the stress of raising a child with permanent live-in help. I was like, LOL. Um, that was getting me. And then Balthus is like, no, no excuses. She's innocent and I'll prove it. She's really good. I like her a lot in this. Um, so we cut, even though I do think she's defending a baby killer. So we cut to court. Melinda is testifying that in her opinion, Evelyn is responsible. And then... She rests her case uh, to Casey, rests her case, and here comes Beverly. And she's like, are you familiar with hemophagocytic lymphohestiocytosis, aka HLH? And I was like, wow. She said it off the top of her head like she was a medical doctor. And, um, well, you just said You know, yeah, but I wrote it out. I'm reading it. (laughs) Like, she said it like she memorized that shit. Um, And... She's basically making the argument that this rare disorder called HLH can also cause brain bleeding and eye bleeding. And Melinda's like, sure, maybe, but it wouldn't have caused the rib fractures. And she's like, well, they gave her CPR in Central Park. That could have caused the rib fractures. And what about the posterior fractures that would have been, they could have been caused by Elliot Stabler who grabbed her and ran out of the park with her. And it's like, did they give her CPR? I thought she was breathing. Anyway, Where's all the hand measuring evidence now, huh? Why are we not talking about how the hand evidence matches the mom? We've just thrown out the hand evidence. It's like how we got her and now we're just not talking about it. Anyway, the only way to determine HLH versus shaken baby syndrome is an autopsy. It's like CTE where you can only find out after someone dies if they had it. Um, I didn't know that about CTE. Oh yeah, you can't confirm CTE until you chop open the brain and look inside. So while it's very obvious sometimes that someone has it, you can't really confirm it. Um, So she's like, so it could have been HLH. And Melinda has to admit, yes, there is a small possibility it could have been that, but it doesn't look good for the prosecution. So now Evelyn is up on the stand testifying about how she always dreamed of having a baby and it was the best day of her life when her baby was born and that she dreamed of being a stay-at-home mom and that her dumb husband died and now she has to work. And she never- why didn't he have a good life insurance policy? They seem like smart New Yorkers. Like, what the fuck? I know, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe young. I'll be honest, knock on wood, I don't have a life insurance policy. I gotta get one, but it's expensive. How expensive? I don't know. I should just get one. It's stupid. I need to just add it onto my plan or yeah, whatever. Yeah, Kodo Insurance. Go visit Vicky Gumville. <laughs> yeah, I want to interact with Vicky on a professional level. No, it seems <laughs> like she is really good at her job. Because Brian Moylan went to like Mexico for some conference to meet her and like do Kodo <laughs> Insurance stuff. And I think she's like pleasant day to day, wildly. Like, yeah. I don't know. She, But she is good at her job, I think. Yeah. 
but when, yeah, don't go to Kodo Insurance. I take it back. <laughs> We're not doing free ads for her, but I'm probably just gonna bundle it with my home and auto. But yes, and uh, I'm also not shaming anyone who doesn't have life insurance. I know nothing about it, but seeing no, these but people, you are correct. Get they, it. They, their vibe of having a nanny and working at an ad agency seems like her husband would. If you have the like, I don't know. You're right. They seem like the vibe of people that would have like the husband would have had like health insurance or something. So. I mean, yeah, health, well, that, but like my parents are like immigrants, right? Like they don't know what's up. Yeah. But you're, you, you speak American, get life insurance. <laughs> um, so she testifies that she never spanked Lucy. She doesn't believe in it. She never shook her because she knows what that does to a child and that she would never hurt her. And Novak then comes in with a full shaming of a working mom. She's just like, and how much time do you spend with her? while you're busy at work. Like, I don't really like this look for Novak, but I do get that we have to get this woman somehow. She basically is like, you shook Lucy because she was ruining your romantic date. And she cries and she's like, no, that's not what happened. And then we cut to Novak and Stabler walking and talking. She's like, I think this is open and shut. He's going to charge the jury soon, blah, blah, blah. And Stabler's like, you never know what these juries, like they might get sympathetic to this mom who's like daughter is in a coma. And then um, they get a call Big news, bad news. Lucy just had a stroke and they don't think she's going to make it. So now he gets to the hospital. Julie White is giving us the download again. She had a massive brain hemorrhage that destroyed her cerebral cortex. She would be dead if she wasn't on life support. This is kind of like when the Terry Schiavo thing happened and like her parents kept thinking there was going to be a miracle thing. But then when she died, they cut her brain open and they were like, she was never going to recover. Like they did figure it out. Like they were correct, you know? But I guess... It is weird when some people do come out. Um, they said she's in a persistent vegetative state. Minimal brain function keeps her heart beating and blood circulating, but she can't see or hear. And the bad news is she's in constant pain. The EEG shows no active thoughts, but her primitive brain functions are still intact. So, and the doctor says, there's just no way she's ever going to get better. She'll deteriorate until an infection kills her or life support is turned off. And Stabler's like, the jury needs to know about this. And Casey's like, I mean, bro, it's too late. I've given my summation. I don't have any legal grounds to delay this case. And he's like, this baby's suffering is not irrelevant. And like, you know, a stern word from Stabler. And all of a sudden, Casey Novak sees a, sees a way in. So she's like, let me see what I can do. So now she's in a walk and talk with the judge who is named Lois Preston that Lisa always calls Lewis. And she is arguing about the facts of the case with Bevy D and she's like, what? Nothing's changed. The woman, Be Beverly D'Angelo is like, the the kid was in a coma before, now she's still in a coma. Nothing has Wait, changed. is Bevy um, a real nickname? I think people are named Bevy, but That's I just started cute. calling her that. I like that. I like that a lot. That's cute. Um, I love her. And Oh, she's, she's the best. She's stunning in this episode. She really is beautiful. Oh, she's a gorgeous woman. I thought she was beautiful in Christmas Vacation. I was always like, why are you cheating? I mean, I know Christy Brinkley is the person he's fantasizing about, but I was like, you have a pretty hot wife. But Novak is trying to argue that this will soon be a murder charge. And Beverly's like, uh, no, it's not because the mom has no intention of ever turning off that life support. And Casey's like, well, I think the jury should be able to, to consider newly discovered evidence and Beverly D'Angelo is like, only if it's presented by the defense. Like, so I guess that's a part of law that I didn't really know that if there, if the case is like kind of ended, new evidence can only be introduced by the defense, not by the prosecution. They only get one try. So that she said, as she puts it, they only get one bite of the apple. Uh, and then the judge sides with, with her, Beverly D'Angelo, who just smirks and walks away. And, um, 
Later, Stabler walks into the empty courtroom to find Novak, who tells him, uh, yeah, it was a hung jury. They were hopelessly deadlocked. And he's like, but you're retrying, right? And she's like, yeah, I don't think it's going to make a difference. She's too sympathetic. And then Stabler gets his like faraway look idea face with a little light bulb above it. And um, now he's in the hospital and Evelyn is reading Goodnight Moon to Lucy. And she sees Stabler and is like, why are you here? And he's like, I'm here to see Lucy. And she gives him the old, do you have children, detective? Which Honestly, that would be funny on a t-shirt. Like, do you have children, detective? They say it so much. Um, That would be a fun (laughs) t-shirt. And he begs her to let Lucy go. He's like, please, like, end her pain. And she's like, I believe that's up to God. And he's like, bitch, you don't think I'm the most Catholic motherfucker you've ever met? I believe it's up to God, too. But if one of my kids had something like this where there was nothing I could do to alleviate their suffering, I would pray to God that he would help me end their suffering. And she says, if if she loses her daughter, she might as well be dead, too. And it's like, you've lost her. Like, this is a husk of a child sitting next to you. Like, I don't know what you think is happening here. But now Stabler is talking to Fred Thompson, aka DA Arthur Branch, and he wants the DA's office to take on the fight to take Lucy off life support. And he's like, they successfully did it in California. And then like Branch is like, yeah, but then they failed in Florida. Like, it kind of depends on the case and where you are. And Stabler's like, I don't really care about Evelyn. I'm not trying to get her. I'm not trying to like get her on murder. I just think this girl's in constant pain and we need to stop it. And he's like, okay, fine. But remember, Evelyn is her mom. We got to be careful or they're going to paint us as baby killers as well. So it seems like he's saying yes, that he will do this, but we don't get a definitive answer. In the next scene, Novak's pissed at Stabler. She's like, why'd you go over my head to the boss? And he's like, I'm just trying to do what's right for Lucy. And Novak's like, Look, I don't even know. He apologizes. He's like, I shouldn't have gone over your head. And he's like, what what, what do we do here? And Novak's like, I don't even know what I would do. I'm not a mom. I don't know what I would do if I was Evelyn. And um, I don't know what I would do if I shook my baby to death. Yeah. But it's like, you don't have to be a mom to know whether if you hear of a child that's in constant pain, that's going to be a vegetable for the rest of their life. Like, that's not worth, like, I don't know. That's my opinion. But maybe other people are going to be like, you're crazy. Wait for a miracle. But I don't think you do that. Um... Like, yeah, but you were raised by a doctor. I guess. Who's also a Republican and pro-life. So who knows? Listen, Cragen goes, welcome to SVU. It's not all black and white. So I think maybe this is Novak's first season. So they're trying to like yeah. still teach her, teach her lessons and shit. And now in the judges' chambers, they're arguing it out again. And Novak is saying, the ethical option here is to take her off of life support. And Beverly D'Angelo's like, they just want to be able to charge Evelyn with murder. And she's like, no, I represent Lucy's best interest. And <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo goes, well, it's hardly in her best interest to be dead. And I thought that <laughs> that line delivery was so good good. She's just Um, naturally really funny. Yeah. And then this dumb bitch mom is in the meeting and she's like, well, I've really been praying for her to get better. And it's like, oh, oh, you've been praying? Okay, let's see if that works. Like, and then, you know, they're arguing like she's in God's hands, not yours. And then Beverly D'Angelo's character goes, the prosecution wants to execute a helpless child. And Judge Preston is like, girl, stop. Like, you're doing the most enough. And Novak argues that Mrs. Pritchard's right Uh, to, like, control her daughter's 
living or dying is nullified by her legal predicament. Her judgment is biased because her freedom depends on her daughter living. And so the judge says, okay, great. So prove to me that cessation of life support is in Lucy's best interest. So now we're in court and we've got Dr. Uh, I forgot her name, but Julie White is the actress. We forgot, we get her, the brain doc on the stand and she's giving all of the extremely sad fucked up details. She's like, every time we touch Lucy, she has a seizure. Her bones are brittle. She literally got, broke a hip getting her diaper changed the other day. It's not good. Then Beverly D'Angelo gets her chance to cross-examine the doctor and she pulls the trick like, ever heard of this person or this person or this person? And she goes, well, I'm not their doctor. And she was like, thank God, because all of them jumped out of comas ready for pancakes. She's like, so do you admit miracles happen? And the doctor's like, I guess. And then she's like, she says she had permanent irreparable brain damage. Life support is keeping a shell of a person alive. Like there is no hope. Like the doctor is like, I think sometimes people are in comas and it's kind of unknown why and then they can just come out of it. But this is like, there are scans of her brain. It is mush. It is not coming back. It cannot regenerate itself. Like there is no hope that she'll ever like live and be like on her own off of breathing tubes and life support again. So seizures, brittle bones, constant excruciating pain. And finally, they're pointing all this stuff out. And finally, Evelyn is like, okay, stop, turn off the machines. I don't want Lucy to suffer anymore. Just turn off the machines. I don't care. And then she confesses to everything right there on the spot. She's t she basically turns to Stabler and confesses to him. She's like, I did it. I'm so sorry. I love her. Please turn off the machines. It's like, um, I don't know why she's begging the court. It's like your decision. You could literally just <laughs> whisper to your lawyer, let's turn off the machines right now. Like it's your, still in your hands. Um, she's like, I loved my baby. I just wanted to fuck. I just wanted to have a night for myself. She woke up. She wouldn't stop screaming. I was so angry. I just shook her over and over until she stopped crying. It's like never occurred to me. My kids make me so fucking bonkers where I will literally go, like, but I would never shake that. Like, I don't know. To grab their bot. They're so little. I don't know. I just would never do it. To anyway. be that horny. To oh be that God. horny, you would Couldn't kill a baby. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. <laughs> like, I've never been that horny in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she says, she shook her until she stopped crying. And then she's like, and then I put her down and she smiled up at me and she seemed okay. It's like, your child smiled at you after you shook the shit out of her? Like, God, that's sick. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm surprised she wasn't scared. Anyway, after the doctor, doctor told her that the baby had been shaken, she just kept telling herself it couldn't be her fault. And that's where you lose me completely too. You're like, well, when the doctor told me what happened, I just kept uh, telling myself, well, it couldn't have been my fault because you're like a sociopath. No, and it's <laughs> it's hard. It's denial. We're asking yeah. someone to act normal in abnormal circumstances. This bitch killed her baby. She's gonna yeah, have- you're right. <laughs> it's hard. You're right. It's hard. You're right. <laughs> but she did kill her to fuck, so I'm still not on her side. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So the whole confession is to Stabler, like she has something to prove to him, which is funny to me. But anyway, so we get that. That's done. Court is over. Final scene. Cragen meets Stabler at a bar, and uh, they're always making Cragen meet at a bar. It's like, he is an alcoholic. Can you guys ever just like <laughs> meet at Froyo or something? It's wild. And- um, he tells uh, Stabler, they turned off the machines. It took about 10 minutes and Lucy died. It was peaceful. And Evelyn was able to be there. The jail brought her down, like the prison. So um, he he then, we get Stabler, I don't know, gunning for an Emmy or something. He gives this long monologue where he's like really tearful. It's really, really like 
fucked, like it's touching and like really emotional. And he t- he shows Craig in a picture of Maureen when she was Lucy's age. She looks 18 months old, like, I don't know, two at the most. And he tells a story about how he was just out of the Marines. Kathy was knocked up again. He was home alone with Maureen and she spilled grape juice all over this new carpet that they had just bought that they couldn't afford. He grabbed her arm to spank her, but she twisted away and he slapped her in the face. And as his hand was coming down for a second time, a voice in his head said, stop. And then he's like, and I'm standing there holding this limp little girl, my my limp little girl, and I'm saying sorry over and over again. And then he's like, I could have killed my kid over a lousy carpet. And it's fucked up. Like he, I, like I'm getting a little bit of goosebumps just retelling it. Like it's a crazy moment where he's he's basically empathizing with this woman and how, you know, he's made mistakes of moments of anger with his children. And, you know, Cragen's already asked for his keys and he's like, let me take you home. So they walk off and that, my friends, is Dick Wolf. I'm not that excited to hear about the real stuff, but <laughs> I made it I made it palatable. All right, let's take a break and um, we'll come back to some shaken baby news. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, guys. So this is sad, and I obvi- I felt like you would have a hard time with this one, Kara. But thank you for taking it. <laughs> yeah, I well, no, even telling you, I'm like, this is not going to be an yeah. easy one. But it, this is such an overview that hopefully won't be too traumatic. And then, but there are dead babies. But also, there are so many cases, so much controversy. I didn't know, and I I hope you like the ones that I kind of chose to focus on and why. Yeah. But there is obviously tons of information out there. So shaken baby syndrome, and like I said up top, there's medical professionals would prefer to call it abusive head trauma. Ah, so it's abusive head trauma. I will can. I'm not a doctor. I will continue to call it shaken baby syndrome. No, it's abusive head trauma. We'll see if, what if I can remember it. And according to the National Center on Shaken Baby Syndrome, there are between 600 and 1400 cases in the U.S. each year. But that's like um, 
like a five or six-year-old fact. Um, The constellation of symptoms known as the triad are brain swelling, bleeding on the surface of the brain, and bleeding behind the eyes. That's so funny. Melinda called it a constellation of symptoms as well. Yeah, I think that's... The writer looked at the same article, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that's just like the language maybe. Yeah, I just had never heard of like a constellation of symptoms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never have heard that like phrase, but go on. Yeah, I only think about men in black and that little cat with her little necklace. Um, (laughs) So if those... If I guess that was a full galaxy. Okay, so if those three symptoms are together, then it has been uniformly accepted as evidence that a crime has been committed, even if other signs of abuse aren't there. So you don't really need, like, bruises, broken bones, or anything else. Like, if the triad exists, those have become okay in saying, like, abuse has taken place. Others, so signs of it, and we saw some with the baby Lucy, but it's unconsciousness, unconscious, unconsciousness. Okay. You got it. Yeah, but what's the episode we did? Conscience. Uh, Conscience. Conscience. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Seizures, not smiling or babbling or talking, extreme irritability, vomiting, breathing difficulties, lethargy, um, and then pale or blue-colored skin, um, like a a soft spot under the top of their head that's kind of built up, um, an inability to lift their head, widened pupils, inability to focus or follow movement with their eyes, tremors, and coma. So a lot of signs. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes there are no immediate signs uh, that, and they go unnoticed and can cause huge problems in the future. Like I found one thing that I didn't really talk about, but like a, a child died 12 years after. Oh my from, God. From like residual shit from being shaken as a baby. So... Wow. Yeah. Um, So it happens most often when a parent or another caregiver becomes frustrated, angry because the baby is crying, or they're unable to cope with the responsibilities of caring for a child. Or they might not know that shaking a baby can be dangerous. Like, that's a thing, too. I think now it's such a thing that, like... Everyone knows I found one clip from Dr. Phil and it was a doctor being like, one shake can kill a baby. And it's like, okay, that was a little panicky. That's not. Yeah, but it had like a big moment in like the 90s or something, right? Yeah. Oh, we will talk about. Yeah, 1997 is when shaken baby really hit the scene. Um, Jelly shoes and shaking babies. Okay. (laughs) This, I'm so disrespectful. So it's considered a severe type of child abuse. Um, and all, you know, cause it causes swelling, bruising, bleeding in the baby's brain, neck and spinal cord damage, fractures to the baby's ribs, collarbone, arms, and even legs, and can lead to brain damage, lifelong disabilities, and even death. Young children have proportionately bigger and heavier heads than adults and weaker neck muscles, and their brains are immature, which makes them more susceptible to the injuries. So yeah, their heads are just too big for the little necks. And so when you shake it, it's just like the head mobility is a lot bigger Mm -hmm. than if like I were to, you know, Kara and I were to shake each other. Um, And the diagnosis gave a generation of doctors and prosecutors a way to account for unexplained head injuries in babies and for stronger cases of child abuse when police had no witnesses, confessions, and only circumstantial evidence. And so I didn't know that this was controversial. Did you? No. Yeah, so... 
like a lot of people um, think that this is all based on junk science and that shaken baby syndrome is fucking bullshit. And a lot of pe- doctors and professionals that have like testified in the stand regret it. And the guy who created it and coined it and found it, it was like horrified and disappointed that the way it's been used in criminal trials. Because they're just like accusing random people who made, who maybe their kids died of SIDS or something. And they're just like, oh, you shaken baby, you shaked your kid or whatever. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's caused a lot of, like there's just a lot of back and forth and um, a Mm. lot of different opinions. And I had, No idea. I thought it was like, this is just the thing. So some doctors believe that other factors other than shaking that have nothing to do with criminal behavior might also describe the triad. So the guy, like I mentioned, who first identified baby shaken syndrome is Norman Guthkelk. Who became the first... Norman. Let's call him Norm. So Norm became the first pediatric neurosurgeon in Great Britain. That's cool. Um, He became... It's like I didn't write that. Okay. But um, (laughs) he became super curious about babies who were coming into his hospital with unexplained brain injuries, and he noticed a pattern. And he said um, where he was in Manchester, a common way to punish a baby was to shake it. Like, not hard, but light shaking was kind of like a cultural way that parents punished their kids. And so, and what he realized was like, they weren't admit, and then finally parents would be like, okay, I shook the baby. I gave the baby a good shaking. And so that gave him the basis for his paper in 1971 on shaken baby syndrome. And then when prosecutors started using it in court to convict people, he was absolutely shocked. He told the Retro Report, um, which is part of the New York Times. Um, He was shocked and desperately disappointed. And he was against defining it as a syndrome and the idea that every time this happens, that it must be a crime. So he began reviewing shaken baby syndrome where he believed caregivers had been wrongly accused. And he did that his whole life. And he died in 2016 at age 100. His big thing was reevaluating crimes where he thought people were being falsely accused for crimes they didn't commit. Um, So in 1997, and this is what you said, like there was a big moment in the U.S. where shaken baby was huge. And I know Um, this name even. Yeah. Yeah. So this was the case. So it was 1997. A young British nanny was charged with murder um, by shaken baby syndrome. um, And it brought everything into the national spotlight and raised a scientific debate that continues to shape child abuse cases today. Like, Mm. I I just can't believe it. So it captivated the U.S. because nothing makes people more upset than injured children. So people were riled the fuck up. The nanny's name is Louise. Are you proud how much how I said it? <laughs> <laughs> so Louise Woodward is the name of the nanny, and she was charged with murder in 1997. You're still saying Louise like it's I a did. man, a Mexican man's name. <laughs> I am. Yeah, but what at Louis? Louise. Louise. With like a Z. Well, put a Z in there. <laughs> You probably should. So her name was Louise Woodward, and she was a British au pair working for Sunil and Deborah Epen in Newton, Massachusetts. She was 18 years old and accused of shaking an eight-month-old boy, Matthew Epen, so aggressively that he died. Oh, my God. So she called the police. I didn't know this was in Newton, Mass. I know a lot of people yeah. from there. Um, I thought you would because of, you know, the New England of it all. It's close to my college. I mean, it's not that far from my college. So I knew a lot of people from college from there, yeah. So she called the police. She made the call. So if she did it and did something terrible, like why would she call the police? Or maybe she didn't know the connection between her actions and, 
you know, what was happening to the baby. We don't really know. So the autopsy showed that the infant had died of a two-inch fracture to the back of his head. And prosecutors said that she had shaken the baby until his brain hemorrhaged. She was held without bail at a maximum security prison following her arrest. The defense, which was paid for by the au pairs agency. Like, so, yeah. The agency paid for it. And the defense argued that the boy's injuries may have come early, like weeks earlier and that it was not from her because, um, so he had a fractured head and arm that seemed like it could have happened weeks prior. Uh, but there was, and there was no way to prove it by a reasonable doubt because while a doctor was on the stand, the defense like kept yelling, were you there? Were you there? Yeah. And that's the big thing. Like there are no witnesses there is no reasonable doubt in these cases. Um, and that's what Well, there is plenty hard. of reasonable doubt is what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Lots of doubt. Um, so on the stand, Woodward said that the she only shook Matthew lightly in a gentle motion to try to get him to respond when she already found him unresponsive and she began to panic. So she's saying that like, she just was like, oh my God, the baby. So wake he was, up, wake yeah. up. Yeah. And so that's what she admitted to. And she said that, like, she was communicating this to the cops and that they kind of twisted the words. And so that's the defense. So the key prosecution witness was Dr. Patrick Barnes, and he's a neurodiologist. Neuroradiologist. So he's a neuroradiologist. Um, (laughs) And in quotes... Um, I was adamant that it had to be child abuse, shaken baby syndrome, he told the Retro Report, as repeated by the New York Times. But she maintained her innocence throughout the three-week trial, but the jury, after three days of deliberation, found her guilty of second-degree murder, and she was sentenced to 15 years to life. But within days of the trial, the judge called the murder conviction an injustice. He knocked it down to involuntary manslaughter and reduced her sentence to time served to 279 days. Wow. You know, this name was in my head. I was like, oh, I know the Louise Woodward case. I don't know anything about it. I, I Like, I was like a teenager when this case happened and I heard about it all the time and I was probably babysitting at the time and nervous to hear yeah. about it. But like, but I also n- didn't know any of this. Holy shit. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Well, this, I feel like the 90s when you're that young, a lot of it, like I, I like I totally. knew, I heard about the mortgage crisis. I don't care. It didn't affect me. It's like, you know I, I mean? heard about Monica Lewinsky, but I, I, I was like, oh, she's a slut. Like I didn't really realize like any of what was going on until like later when I really researched things. I knew there was a cigar in the pussy. I did know that. I knew that too, but I thought like, I don't know, the way she was portrayed in the media is exactly how I believe she was. Like I did not get the nuances of that case at all. Yeah. So the judge said in a 16-page decision that he did not find any malice on her part to support the conviction. Uh, Woodward showed no emotion during this um, reduction in comparison to like when she received the guilty verdict, she was fully crying. But I think she, yeah. Yeah deadpan. So the Epens in an interview with the Boston Globe after this said, what does that say about justice? Does it say that you could just kill a baby and that your youth and inexperience with cranky babies counts for more than a child's life? And I do, you know, they're obviously in pain. 
Um, Though some praised his decision here in the States because it held her responsible for the baby's death without unduly punishing her for what seemed like an an unintentional crime. Um, But most of Massachusetts was pissed as hell, (laughs) outraged. Uh, But Woodward returned back to England where to many British people, she was seen as innocent. Even though a manslaughter charge like did stick with her, the judge says, um, didn't say innocent. It just made the conviction less. But to the British people, it was like, she's innocent. She's out. Hell yeah. Um, And in the UK, they were just kind of horrified by the televising of the case since in Britain, they don't allow cameras in their courtrooms. And like, they just were really confused by the Americans' like pre-trial publicity that that they believe generated a prejudiced jury. Um, And that like the parents of the baby were on TV all the time while the jury was deliberating. Like their laws are just really different there. So they were like pretty grossed out. It's kind of like how most of the world is confused why we have medical, like, pill commercials. Like, that's not really a thing outside of the U.S. Um, So in her hometown of Elton in Cheshire, Miss Woodward, so like all her friends and neighbors packed into every corner of their local pub, The Rigger, and they watched the judge reduce her sentence and she didn't have to serve more time. And people were jumping and grabbing each other. They sang songs about her freedom in the tune of soccer songs. So, I wonder if she's from the area where shaking was like a cultural thing or was that too much earlier than her, than how old she was? I don't know, but that, I mean, you can't really get rid of that stuff within a generation. Yeah. You know, that, uh, yeah, I don't know where Cheshire to Manchester is, but yeah, could be. Um, there were firecrackers, car honking, and then Woodward came back home and gave an interview to the BBC when returning home and maintains her innocence and that she did nothing wrong. She believes that she was made to be a scapegoat, uh, particularly by those parents. And back in her home of England, she's a dance teacher. Even though she did go to law school, she worked in a law firm, but then said, no thanks, became a dance teacher. Um, and she got married and took the dad's last, like the guy's last name and as a child. So she has a daughter of her own. And with a quote to the Daily Mail, she wrote, I know there are some people waiting for me to have a baby so they can say nasty things to me. It upsets me, but that's not going to stop me for leading my life. I am innocent. I've done nothing wrong. I'm entitled to enjoy my life and I'm not going to apologize for being happy. Um, but like the article that I read that in uh, was on Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo. <laughs> no, I know. How to, Yahoo Finance. <laughs> Um, and it's from Cosmopolitan. And the it, it was called, Where's Louise Woodward? The Killer Nanny. So like, they still called her the Killer Nanny, even in this thing that was like, years after <laughs> she was home, like with the baby and everything. And they're like, and where's the Killer Nanny now? Yeah. Um, but she wasn't innocent. She still had an involuntary manslaughter charge. So uh, it's not like she's fully innocent. I don't know. I don't really have like, opinions. I feel, I obviously feel bad with, for the parents who have yeah, but a it's child like, I wonder missing. what Long. happened. Yeah. I wonder, like it's, it's the problem. It's not really the defense's job to present an alternative theory of the crime. They just yeah. have to prove that. So it's kind of like, but what did happen? You know? Yeah. <sighs> and then very annoyingly, you're going to like, you're going to hate this. <laughs> um, It's not about the shaking, but there started to become giant contempt towards the mother and working mothers and how you shouldn't let other people take care of your kids. Oh, God. And um, even though in the episode, the mother did it, they're acting like moms don't, you know. Yeah. Like of all those instances of shaken baby, I bet it's a ton of moms. It's not just like fucking nannies doing it, you know. Well, Or it's dads. 
or it's yeah. uncles or it's like whoever. There's a lot of people around children. Yeah, and I have some facts later that have nothing to do with shaking baby, but I found interesting in my research. So we'll talk about the highest rate of like who do, who abusers. Oh, okay. Um, but both the mom and dad were doctors, an ophthalmologist and um, an anesthesiologist. And people were questioning their judgment of leaving the kid with somebody else. Newspaper headlines read, lifestyle of a yuppie put on trial. Um, oh there God. was like montage clips of people talking shit about them. And one was horrific. And some guy said, well, they didn't want a kid, so now they don't have one. Just because they had a nanny. Like, I guess the 90s were way more far away than, like, I've realized. Um, But people were like, I would never leave my kid with someone. She got hate mail. And yeah, like, and it's of course coming to her because it's full misogyny. Like, yeah, it's full, like, the like, dad, the dad can work, go yeah. out and work. Yeah. Also, she was only working three days a week and would come home for lunch. Yeah, that's, like, way better than what most working moms can do. Like, that's crazy. And, like, the woman in the episode, I mean, she was guilty, but, like, if people were mad that she had a nanny, like, her husband died. What do you want? Yeah. Then we should live in a... I mean, I believe everyone... I think... I believe in a base income for everyone, but I think stay-at-home mothers just, like, should be given an income from the government and Alma. All women, I think, should be given money uh, so they can escape abusive partners. I think all, like, I believe in all of that. I mean, I was just home with my kids for 17 fucking days in a row and it was really hard. I I was actually thinking about stay-at-home moms and being like, (laughs) wow, wow. No, because I think because I don't want children and I'm like, I'm a feminist. People think like I might be (laughs) anti-like something. And I'm like, pay stay-at-home moms all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So after the trial, you know, I mentioned the doctor who, like, the the, pros- the, the prosecution was yelling at, or the defense the ner- was yelling the at. The neuroradiologist? Yes. So this is the neuroradiologist, Dr. Barnes. And he was on the stand for the prosecution and getting yelled at, like, were you there? Were you there? So he was the witness for the prosecution. And he has rethought his testimony as, and is now convinced that the diagnosis happened too fast in criminal cases and other causes could be infections, diseases, earlier injuries from accidental falls, and even strokes that occurred in utero. Like, I saw one case where a man served all this time and then they retested stuff because new medical examiners, like a lot of these cases, people get put away and then a new chief medical examiner starts and starts re-examining cases and they get to choose what happens. And so, like, they found one case where one of the babies actually had like 25, like all these strokes in utero. There's just a controversy that I didn't know existed. I thought it was like, this is what it is. Um, The New York, this uh, one New York Times article stated like, shaken or not, at the end of the day, the dominant issue is child abuse and child abuse is not good. Um, (laughs) And this is the other tidbit that I found that is, has nothing to do with this, but I thought it was interesting because of who we are. So... Various studies over the years, as reported by the New York Times, suggest that the most serious threat to a small child's well-being is the presence of a mother's live-in boyfriend. Huh. And they sourced um, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, There was an eight-year study, and it showed that a household with an unrelated adults were nearly 50 times, kids were 50 times as likely to die of inflicted injuries if there was unrelated adults in the home. And 83% of those um, were perpetrated by the person that's unrelated. Wow. 
So, and that's, I always say this. If a man wants to date you and you have children, do a background check. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for doing all of this work on Shaken Baby. I don't know where, I don't know what to think. I, I mean, I think with anything like courts and law enforcement can be, make mistakes and be corrupt. And I'm sure people have been accused of things, but I do think it exists, right? Like people do fucking snap when their babies won't stop crying and do anything to shut them up. Yeah, and I do believe that the guy, the doctor in England in the 70s who came up with this, like, I think he thinks it's real. And everyone, I think it was just the shock of how it was used so liberally in maybe criminal trials. Yes, Is what kind of alarmed the medical community. But, But yeah, there was a heyday. Like, there was just like a montage of people on daytime talk shows being like, shaking baby, shaking baby. And like, I, I've seen um, like bus ads, like don't shake your baby and yeah, yeah. all that stuff. But that's why well, you shouldn't, even if you really want kids, it's so hard. Like that's why another reason why you should not force yeah. people to raise children that don't want children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will shake. And just like in that first year of life, there's like postpartum, there's all kinds of like, emotional and physical things that moms and dads are going through. And like, I'm not excusing anyone, but I'm just saying like mental health access has got to be part of this too, you know? So, it's- And uh, not blaming parents, but I just feel so sad. Like your baby is dead and now you're on trial and you're like, what? And then- You can't even, it's, I, yeah. Yeah, horrible. But listen, we've got an amazing palate cleanser to make you forget about all of these deceased babies. Our guest is amazing, so do not go anywhere. Guys, it's guest time. And I do not say this lightly when I say that our guest today is an absolute icon. You know her as Ellen Griswold from all of the vacation films. You know her from American History X. You may have seen her on several separate episodes of SVU where she not only plays a character in today's episode, but she also plays Serafina Carisi, mother of Dominic, quote unquote, Sonny Carisi. And she also was recently in the huge Christmas smash, Violent Night. But on today's episode, you know her as defense attorney, Rebecca Balthus. Guys, please enjoy our amazing convo with Beverly D'Angelo. You're such a get for us. Like, we're just so excited. I can't believe you're so down. But (sighs) Kara wrote the medicine. Say it out loud, Kara. Okay, so I remember you're in court. You're asking Melinda Warner, the medical examiner. Have you ever heard of hemophagocytic Lympho lymphohistocytosis. I can't. I'm reading I know, it. And I can't even I know. do it. And it rolls right off your tongue, uh, like that, you went to medical that took school. Took a lot of professional application. What is it again? Hemophagocytic lympho. I'm sure we have like medical histiocytosis. Histiocytosis. Okay, because um, I couldn't when when I read that I went. Are you kidding me? That's a laugh line. <laughs> there's like, there's this thing I used to do. I'm the only person in the world that thinks it's funny, but if we were in person, I would do it with you. And it's not even a game. It's just, I I think I made it up like in between takes to just keep myself from being bored. But like, you know, one person, you can see me, has to take a sip of water, right? <laughs> and as you're taking the sip of water, the other person says, um, uh, where were you on the night of October 16th? And you go, I was with Frau Duncan. 
going. <laughs> and then the other person, and then you take a sip while the other person says, Frau Wunkerpusser died on June 1982. And then you go <laughs> and spit it out. So to me, I didn't really put that all together right as a, in the telling, but to me, when I read the name of that condition, I thought it was a medicine or the condition. I thought all I could think of was that game. You know, have you ever heard of hematofacial? Sounds like a it has a Nazi tinge to it. And anyway, I'm so glad you picked that because that's the first thing I thought of when I found out that you had this podcast and dissected SVU. No, and we love your back as like. Serafina Carisi, <laughs> the most Italian name of all time. Serafina, yeah. I wish they'd come back. Well, I, well, I bet you that they will. To. I bet you well, that they originally, will. Originally, you know, it was recurring, but what happened was what Norberto said was that, you know, they, they were exploring when Warren Light was the showrunner, which is when I did that episode in January of 2022. That's when we shot it. I don't know when it came on. I think March or something. But anyway, um, Warren Light and and seconded by Norberto, saw that as a recurring character because they were thinking of going into uh, Peter Carisi's uh, home life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think the episode you were in was kind of like you meeting Kelly Giddish's character to kind of like, you know, feel her out. And so you, she, we just talked to Kelly Giddish and she was raving about you. She oh, was I like, you, go, she she was like, you gotta get it. Beverly D'Angelo. And I go, we go, we're talking to her this week. I love her. But yeah, I mean, really that show is like, you know what they say? It, it, it starts from the top. And Marissa Hagate is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. Besides her acting mm. chops. She's got a heart and and a soul, and I even I, her brother has a plant store here in LA. I got my yes, plant. yes, I yeah. used to live near it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. now, did you see they built that building so it doesn't get any sunlight? Oh, yeah, they built a building on, on right and, and Franklin. Yeah, and it, yeah, that was it. But anyway, no. If you need a rare plant, you call you know Mickey Mickey Hargitay's. Yeah. The thing is that the atmosphere of that shoot it's it's an everybody's emotionally in tune and invested in the show and everybody's supporting each other to do their best. So you're not getting, you know, little, um, uh, fractures anywhere. You know, when you come on as a guest, you're like coming into heaven. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a, it was a wonderful atmosphere and it was that from the get go. And I did it early on. I mean, I don't know what season it was in, in 2001, but I think that's when I did shaken. It was either 2001 or 2000. Yeah, yeah. It was some 2002. Yeah. I mean, so that was around then. It was only five years old then. I mean, it was a hit. Yeah, it was season five when you did Shaken. And um, yeah, you did. Your first one was Coarse, which I love. But I have to say, your character is so funny. Your character just is so quick and like sharp and is like, I don't think so. And makes all these little jokes and. Obviously, part of that is scripted, but, like, you must have brought something to that, too, having, like, years and years of comedy experience. You know, I'll tell you something that they say, and I I want to believe it because I'm so old now, but they say that, you know, talent doesn't age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say that it's genetic to anybody, but because I really do believe in applying yourself and studying and developing a skill set. But acting talent is a different thing. Singing talent, you know, your voice, your, your your chords can age, your voice gets lower and stuff like that. But that core engine of whatever it is that allows a person to connect 
with words and inhabit a role and get into that moment, you know, that, that is a talent, you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you learn that, that deepest thing, but skill set is a lot, but so as far as what did I bring from years of this and years of that, I never bring anything. <laughs> what I do is I, I look at what I'm supposed to do. I have a, a hamster wheel head for research. I love deep dives. And I start to invent a whole thing. And whatever it is that gets invented out of this will come into it. But I never sit there and go like, oh, got to have the word K because that's a funny letter. Or, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I mean, rule of three. Yeah, I look for that. But even that, with the way that storytelling has evolved with this long storytelling medium of streaming and stuff, even those little kind of punchline rules, yeah, you can have it in a moment, but there's a different thing happening now. And so I, rules don't apply. And I I have a very specific way that I go through a script and the way that I get into a character and all that kind of stuff. But it's it that is something that I've accrued over time. Um, and I've accrued it over time doing playing a supporting roles because mm. I'm a supporting actress. So the thing about supporting roles is like you aren't carrying the full storyline. You know, the, the 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 audience isn't watching you start here and go all the way there and get all those little pieces. With a supporting role, you know, you are uh it's kind of like a musical. You're either you're 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 there either to further the plot or to develop character. So to present yourself as a whole, this is just something that I have always been drawn to just because of my need to, you know, anytime that I've been offered a role that was a sporting role, I go, well, what happens to her between the time you see her in the kitchen and then you don't see her till she's, you know, uh, on the steps of the courthouse. I like to fill that stuff in so that, so that the character emerges so that I know where I'm at. I know what's happened and I can make that up. It can be anything. I could have had a fake leg put on for all anybody knows. But you know what I mean? It's 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 something that that I love to do, you know, and that 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 gives me room for the imagination. And so guest starring on Law and Order, you know, I, I do remember, you know, some of that, you know, like figuring out like, well, where does she live and what did she do after that? thing and why did she how did she find out the name of that disease and yeah she really <laughs> dug deep because like that woman pretty it was like the the medical examiner was like this is shaken baby syndrome hands down and you were like what about this 17 syllable disease disease well, i found yeah, in a book that was, that was also because i was a defense lawyer it was shaken baby right yeah oh yeah yeah she shook that baby she, she shook, shook that baby, baby for sure yeah. yeah i think a lot of times your your people are guilty but that doesn't matter you're paid well, to defense the best lawyers defense. They're, they're guilty yeah yeah <laughs> I was looking at your IMDb. You have like six things in pre-production or post-production. It was like, you're like the busiest woman in in the world. Okay, (laughs) let me get this out of the way for why I'm working so much now. I had my kids. I got pregnant at 48. I gave birth at 49. Difficult pregnancy, hit the ground running, was a single mother. You know, nobody's really a single mother, but I was, you know, split up with their dad by the time they were three. So, you know, I got, I remember I got offered Winter's Bone and I couldn't do it because I couldn't be gone for months because I'm from Ohio. I wanted my kids. I knew that, that, 
that the right way, I couldn't even think of an alternative, the right way to raise, raise kids was to have at least one parent who was emotionally and physically available at all times. Mm-hmm. And Al Pacino is one of our greatest actors. You you kind of assess everybody's need. He's a true artist. I'm not going to say don't go off and do that Oscar-worthy thing so that I can yeah. go to, you know, Texas and you know, sit on a cactus and sing something. You know what I mean? It was just, it wasn't a sacrifice. It was just, how do I do all this and give my children what they need? So people stopped asking me to do things. And I did do <laughs> Law and Order, uh, but that was before I started saying no to me. It was before I broke up with them. Um, and then um, I did Entourage and I did some little teeny independent things here and there. Uh, that that really nobody saw and didn't really mean anything to anybody. Um, but uh, then my kids graduated from high school and they got on their paths. And uh, my daughter had had to have uh, an operation. She had an anomaly in her face. We knew we were going to face, you know, a major surgery when she was uh, 20. And we did. We moved up to, it was a, a year ago, last June, almost a year and a half ago, I got a place in Santa Barbara close to her surgeon. I guess I'm talking about it a lot because it was kind of traumatic. But anyway, so she had this life-changing surgery. And I realized, oh, there's space. You know, because you never stop parenting. But as far as like getting my kid in college, getting Livy to her final point, uh, physically correcting some stuff that she had been born with, you know, I felt like, okay. Okay, they're 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 really on their feet. And I examined, well, how much do I need to be needed? And I thought, no, this is time. I mean, I've really I my kids have just seen my faith in them. So I don't need to stir up any, you know, situations where, oh, and then they need me. You know, yeah. I, I it was really about freeing and what started to surge up in me was my creative need, you know. I mean, that's that's what started me on my trajectory when I left home at 17, you know, to express, mm. you know, whether I was painting or singing or acting, whatever it is, not dancing. Now I'm a lousy dancer, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but my niece, Courtney is an excellent dancer. She's, she stars in river dance anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, so what happened was I was sitting there in this, this little house in Santa Barbara. It was a beautiful day. And I started to think about this idea of manifesting, you know, that when you really center yourself and you think of, of, you know, what your wants and needs are, when you are really aware of that, and for me, it was my creative need, it does kind of calibrate just what you do. And I believe this, I think it brings things to you when you're really in your core, really, truly who you are, it sends out a kind of resonance. I believe this. And that's based on a fact. Do either of you play the piano? My whole family does. I did as a little as a child, but I've, you, I, a, you know. Did you no. have a baby grand or a grand piano? My mom had a grand piano. All right. Then you know what uh, a sustain pedal is. Mm-hmm. That's a pedal on a piano that when you press it down, it lifts the felts off the strings so they resonate. If you press the sustain pedal down and you lift the top of the piano, and you go into the piano strings, the corresponding uh, note, that string that holds that note, will reverberate. 
It's called sympathetic resonance, I think, sympathetic resonance. And that's a fact of life, that if you sing a certain frequency into a piano, it will make that string reverberate. And I think that it, I kind of, this is my thing, I think that applies to life. That if you are centered in yourself with what you truly need, not what you think you need, you know, intellectually, but what, what if you really, really get to the core of that, it sets off something and it draws people in. Like singing a note uh, incurs a sympathetic resonance from a piano. And so what happened was my friends, a friend of mine called me up and who I'd worked with before when she was like working her way up as a producer. She said, I'm producing a TV show for, um, uh, CBS, I have a great role for you. I'm going to offer it to you. Boom. Now did the pilot. It got picked up. Now I have a recurring role on a CBS show that premieres in the spring called True Lies. Norberto Barba was in that group the following January. Mm-hmm. That was the fall. Robert Schwartzman, Tony Kay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I heard the vibrations. Yeah. It wasn't like I was calling them saying, hey, do you want, you know, can you give me a job or anything? Yeah. Yeah. You weren't like, hey, I'm back on the scene. Yeah. It's just a headset. It's just a mind, a mindset, I think. I have another thing I want to ask you about. The Simpsons. I'm a huge Simpsons head. I love Lurleen Lumpkin and I can't believe it's you. Okay. Frank Zappa was a very good friend of mine, as was his wife and his children, Dweezil. To this day, Dweezil's a very close friend. Um, anyway, Frank was using a, a synclavier toward the end of his life, and it was a it was a machine that, like, you could program with notes. You could get sound sources, like somebody could burp, and you could splay it out in a scale. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he wanted to record my voice, and uh, for some, and I was dating this guy, and for some reason, I was wearing a cheerleading outfit that I'd gotten at. Um, L.A. Rag, I think. Um, anyway, uh, so I took this guy that I was with over to Frank's studio. And also the guy I was with was really drunk. Um, but Matt Grunning was there. Oh, wow. And so we never got around to like me ooing into his Sinclair. But we had this really nice get together night. And I met Matt. And a few weeks later, I got this offer to play Lurleen Lumpkin, the singing waitress from Spittle County. And I just sat right down at my piano. I called my brother, Jeff. I said, get over here. We sat right down at my piano and I wrote, well, the bases were empty on the diamond of my heart when the coach called me up to the plate. So I wrote, finally bagged me a homer. And then I sent it into them. They liked it. And so we used it in the show. And then because also, you know, sometimes you don't get all the contracts signed before you actually complete something. And so then I got this contract to sign from Fox and it said that they would own that song, that they would own the publishing. And I had a publishing company because my brother and I had this little secret company where we would do sound alikes for soundtracks for people in television that, that couldn't afford to buy the original. We'd oh, like, wow. We'd crank it out. So anyway... um, it said, you got to do this and this and this. And and I think I even had a direct conversation or it was through my age or something where they said, even Randy Newman gave us a song, Fox has to own this. And I just never signed it. I just never signed it. Because I was thinking, if it's so bureaucratic, 
that there are all these layers of stuff. And most actors, I've always read every single word in a contract my whole life uh, out of curiosity and also because, you know, my life. <laughs> but it was it would have been such an easy thing to sign if I hadn't have read that. You know, it'd be like, yes, 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 yes. And just by not signing that, it I guess it fell through the cracks because I, to this day, I get, you know, residuals from the performance and also from the publishing. Oh, my God. That makes yes. me so happy. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't know you wrote that. That's amazing. An amazing That's tidbit. amazing. Do you um, have the action figure of her? I do. Okay, good. <laughs> I have a couple of action figures. I have one that's set in a bowling alley and then another one that's set somewhere else. Amazing. There's one box that came out that's a bowling alley. I don't have merchandising now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you brought up vacation before. We're talking to you now in the holiday season. What yep. happens when like every year Christmas rolls around? That movie oh is like God. huge in my house. Uh, it's like it's a the Clay family one. Christmas yeah. classic. Like it's walking so around in the most beautiful world you can imagine. <laughs> I was like, I was like, does it annoy you that it, like it comes no, back around every so year? Or do you love it? It's so beautiful because, by the way, it's built. Yeah, it didn't start out like that. The first one, by the way, the first one was R-rated and and was mm. a satire, but everybody identified with it instead. But um, I mean, it was envisioned as a satire. But anyway, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And what I find is that the people who like Christmas vacation and who have it as part of their lives. They're family people. They're nice people. They're not mean spirited. They're lovely. So to get that kind of um, love, really, you know, that kind of appreciation. Yeah. I do find that the real hardcore uh, Christmas vacation fans don't want to know about anything else I've done. <laughs> And I've got this series coming out. And I'm a badass in Violent Night. That's nice. You know that dress that you wore, that green. <laughs> my wife has it. You know what I mean? It's 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 not like it's a closed set, but it's very specific. And around this time of year, it's it's just a lovely thing because it's so much a part of a certain certain strata of our culture. There's a certain grouping of people, but they really like it, and it means a lot to them, and it feels so great. To, to feel that appreciation like I had anything to do with it. You know, it's like, you look at that movie, you take what you want, and it does something to you. I just showed up and did the thing. But the character, by the way, I did base on my mother. <laughs> I did base that character on my mother because I was a wild child. I left him at 17. I lived on communes. I was singing <laughs> in rock and roll bands. I was not that person. That yeah, was yeah. You know, but it was a chance to to pay tribute to my mother, who was devoted to my father. I grew up witnessing a great love affair, so so I can, I had to pass it along to her. Yeah, that it also just introduced me to so many people, like you, Chevy Chase, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Randy Quaid. I mean, Juliette Lewis, like all these I huge people that I didn't know who anybody was when I first watched it. You know, like you know what I, I was I was in. Um, yeah, well, nobody else did either. But I was in um, I was in uh, Pittsburgh doing this autograph thing with Chevy, and the woman who was helping me from the convention, the best, Antoinette, the best. She invited me to a. I got stuck there, and so I didn't leave on Sunday. But on Sunday night, she and her sister had they have a party where people dress up as characters. Oh my gosh! And her sister and and her sister's friend they wore those. Those jogging suits, those like aluminum foil looking jogging suits. 
I was almost going to go and say I was dressed up as Ellen Griswold, <laughs> but I couldn't. I had to wake up at like six in the morning to go to the airplane. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, wait, we could literally talk about your career forever, but let's circle back to SVU really quick. Cut that stuff out. You can cut it out. <laughs> no, <laughs> we would never cut it we out. We would never. We want to know it all. That was all gold. Um, <laughs> but so, I mean, do you have like memories of of SVU, like you and Richard Belzer, you and Marishka, like, you know, a specific, like any little stories or anything? Um, oh, gosh. I've got to tell you about, I, let, me, let me get it up on IMDb so I remember the name of the one person I'm thinking of. Anyway, it just all good stuff. Ice tea was great. When I went in to do looping, he had cocoa with him. Yeah. She's the sweetest person in the world. But Richard Belzer, I was a big fan of his comedy. Right. We were in the same kind of click in the early days, but didn't really, I didn't intersect too much with the guys who were doing stand up, but uh, Sam Kinison I knew and Chevy was, you know, they knew about him in the stand up world and stuff. So there were a little bit of overlaps, but I was, he was the hottest. Guys. Wow. <laughs> Belzer. Yeah. So that was real thrill. Um, and met his wife. And but Mariska, you know? Yeah. I was so moved by her that I wrote her a letter. Like I wrote her like basically a fan letter when I left. <laughs> Here, you know, because really, and the director, I mean, everybody, even the wardrobe people, I can't, I can't even describe it. It's like, I don't know what the equivalent would be. Just think of Go that that you're invited over to someone's house where everybody there is a genius and they're brilliant and they love what they do and they're happy to see you. That's yeah. you know Law and Order SVU. Do your kids um are they do they have like the bug for the business or what? My daughter is a live actor in an escape room. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Amazing in the best escape room in the Los Angeles area. It's in Silmar. It's called The Basement. And there's a whole backstory. It's horrifying. It's It gave me the creeps. But I'm <laughs> going back on Sunday because my niece, I have my son and my niece in my house. My niece is living with me. My son kind of got booted back here from his apartment with the COVID thing. But once they stop the online classes, he'll be back in his apartment. But anyway, so I got a house full of, I got my two nieces are here, Courtney, who's here all the time. And Katie just came in. So we're going to go out and go to the escape room. But it's got a backstory where these horrible people killed and imprisoned kids. And one was a cannibal. And so Livy is like in, in one, in one room, she's a, uh, blind and deaf maid. And, you know, has blood dripping out of her eyes and stuff. Now, of course, you can see. But, you know, she gives prompts when the people get lost. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's deep into it. She's a live actor. And Al and I went and we were like, oh, my God, this is like the greatest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, because it's interactive. And my son, Andrew, from the age of 15, he's uh, was drawn to video games. And he said, at a very early age, that the art form of the 21st century. So he's a video game developer and he's developing a game right now. Oh, cool. Wow. wow. Beverly, this was a thrill. The best. They, yeah. I mean, we we uh, we're gonna we need to have you back. There's too much more to talk about. I'm I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. 
Can you even believe that we just talked to her? It's not even hitting me. I mean, I am like a huge Christmas vacation fan. I like love her so much. I just, she was so cool. She reminded me of, well, I always say she kind of reminded me of when we talked to Kathy Moriarty because we talked to her forever and she seems like this brassy, like I've been in this business a long time. They both kind of sound like they smoke cigs. Like, you know, I like, I'm obsessed. I just thought she was so cool. So open, like, you know, not... Not any, not many people that come on our show are like this, but it's so much with a star like that. It's like PR, publicist, say this, don't say that. Oh, what's that? And she is just so open, so giving, so honest, no games, no hiding stuff. Like, I just, I loved everything about her and down to her living room. I mean, everything. Yeah. Like, and I was like I obsessed just, with her before I even knew that she had kids with Al Pacino. And then when she yeah. was like, yeah, Al and I went to go see our daughter at the escape room. I'm just like, "You're what is your life, Beverly D'Angelo? Like, she's amazing. And we have, um, we have figured out my sushi for like, you know, Elliot Stabler Benson knew that that couldn't have been Stabler because he's eating sushi. And we figured out mine is escape rooms. <laughs> if you get yes. a text. If I ever call Lisa and she goes, cool, I'll be at this escape room and I'll call you back in a half an hour. I'm like, okay, immediate call to 911 because that's not happening. That's not real. She's been taken and she's under duress. Because what was so funny, so I was at Kara's house, but Jared was walking in the back door. He didn't know I was there yet. And so all he saw was a McDonald's coffee on the counter. And in his head, it was like, what? Because not only does Kara not <laughs> casually go to McDonald's, she does not drink coffee. And I was like... <laughs> He was like, this what happened? This is pod snatchers or body snatchers. Or and then whatever. Lisa just popped out and was like, I'm here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm here. Oh, God. And then you know what? I mean, obviously, Beverly's great. If you're listening to all of this with the tour, like, then we get back from the tour. Rosie has COVID. <laughs> well, she's completely asymptomatic. It's crazy. So we're just wearing masks in the house. I think I still probably have some immunity from when I just had it. I think she got it at school because a couple kids have had it at school, but it's just so like far wild. Oscar doesn't have it. We're keeping it. It's just like, yeah, it's like life is so fucking just punches you in the face over and over again, especially with my fucking kids, but everything's but fine. But you know we'll what's cute? Oscar waved to me for the first time on FaceTime and it was really cute. And Jared taught him, if you're a fan of Drag Race and you know Alaska's catchphrase is, hi! Like, Jared basically taught them how to say that. And that, so now Oscar, whenever he's on FaceTime with me, he goes, hi! And it <laughs> is really sending me. Um, I don't know if we have like a full post-mortem from this episode, but... Don't shake your Don't baby. Don't shake your baby. Um, yeah, kids cry, and it's actually way better to... Wait, should we do that on the road? Should that be our big surprise at the end? We do a full shaken baby dance <laughs> and song? <laughs> or all the lessons we've learned? Don't have sex with your sister or shake your baby. <laughs> I know it's hard SVU to, like, not the get frustrated with, like, screaming children. It is hard, but, like, physically grabbing them or shaking them is never the answer. It's literally, unless you're giving them brain damage, it will not work. Like shaking a kid will only make them, shaking a kid, grabbing a kid, like doing anything physical to a kid, it's only going to make them more hysterical. So it's like, don't do it. <laughs> I know. It's really weird. Like the encouragement for everyone to have children is so wrong. 
It's <laughs> like you should be like everyone should be like, don't have kids unless you go to therapy, work on your anger, have patience. I don't know. It's like we just let anyone procreate. It's it's wild. Look, I'm don't have shake I your lost, baby. I've lost my temper with my kids. Trust. Of I have. Course. But I just like I never, ever think, oh, if I shake them, it will quiet them down. So, you know, you got to just uh, know know how to hand research some ways to calmly deal with with parenting stuff. But also I, I think you should drop to your knees in public and scream like that would make more sense to me then. But just- also for this lady in this episode, like if you're fucking a guy who can't handle it, if you go to your daughter's room for five minutes and just calm her down and put her back to bed. I don't even care. Like, first of all, he's cheating on his wife with you. This is not the guy worth killing your kid over in this episode. Jesus. But I know she just wanted to get laid after she's a widow and all that. But come on. Come on, lady. Um, But she is serving her time. And uh, I think also the bottom line is get yourself a lawyer like Rebecca Balthus who talks about hypophagiosis or whatever and gets you off based on a completely wackadoo, untestable theory. (laughs) I know what a, what an actress, what an actress, what a role, what a what a blessing, and you know I'm glad the baby's an actress. Yeah, not a real baby. But but speaking of advice and how you can you know work with your kids or whatever, uh, let's get into what would Sister Peg do. That's our weekly segment where we give you guys a resource, a, a link, a book, a podcast episode, something that can help you learn more about what we talked about in today's episode. And we wanted to direct you guys today to childhelp.org. That addresses the symptoms and causes of shaken baby um, on on the article that we're posting, as well as advice for stressed out parents and caregivers. Like if you're constantly feeling stressed with your kids, I totally get that. Check out this article. See if you can get some advice on like ways to walk away, uh, ways to take a break, recenter yourself and not get not get too upset. Uh, child Help is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the prevention and treatment of child abuse. And uh, check out their website to find preve- preventative measures against some of the causes of shaken baby syndrome as well. And the, that's again, childhelp.org. And that will, as always, be posted as a story on our Instagram the day of the show. And then we'll be saved forever in a WWSPD highlight, which now is WWSPD 2 because we've already surpassed our 100 or something. What would Sister Peg do's? So. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't put that together, but of course we have. Next week's episode will be Contrapasso. Season 19, episode three, we got some Peacock action, some Hulu action. Get your sticks ready all over the world. We're obsessed with all of you. Um, And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun!
Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.